I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. The Ninja Trilogy. This show is on three films by Canon Pictures. Enter the Ninja from 1981, Revenge of the Ninja from 1983, and Ninja 3 The Domination from 1984. None of which are sequels to each other. And you could play a drinking game and take a shot during this podcast every time someone says ninja. But I feel like that might kill you faster than a ninja. The first martial art to sweep the modern world was jujitsu closely followed by the discipline of karate. Then we were taught to combine the spiritual with the physical by the masters of Kung Fu. And now, the Canon Group is proud to introduce the practitioner of the oldest and ultimate martial art, the Ninja. Enter the Ninja. This gold is your license as a master of ninjutsu. Starring Franco Nero, exploding into action as Cole, the White Ninja. Give him a message for me. Yeah? I don't like to be followed. I love it here. It's become my home. And nobody, nobody is going to drive us away. Susan George is the proud and beautiful Marianne, a strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. And introducing Sho Kosugi. Kampai! Kampai! Kampai. Hasegawa, the black ninja, born of samurai blood, is unable to accept anything but the ancient ways. You did not drink, Hasegawa. He is no ninja. It's the lion code. They want to take it away from us. Bitter and merciless, this rogue ninja will stop at nothing to destroy any and all who cross his path. Ninja. Hired assassins, trained killers, masters of the most deadly art known to man. If you take on a ninja, no matter how many you are, be prepared for the consequences. Enter the ninja from Canon. This is not the first show we've done on a property by Canon Films. I thought it was, but then I remembered that we've done episodes on Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, and Masters of the Universe. Originally founded by Dennis Friedland and Chris Dewey in 1967, Canon Films hit financial dire straits in 1979 and had to be sold off to Golan Globus Incorporated, or the who became the Canon Group. It's, it's, it's questionable, but when people say Canon Films, what they really mean is when Golan Globus were in charge. Menachem Globen and his cousin Joram Globus ran an extraordinary company that thrived on cheap, shoddy, and ill-judged movies. Not quite as cheap as, say, Roger Corman, and not quite as deliberately schlocky and lowbrow as Troma, but not far off in both cases. Lovers of this studio's output speak of the canon look and a tone which could best be described as very silly and stylized, only the actors seem to be taking everything way too seriously. The canon look, by the way, is an aesthetic that suggests that more money could definitely have been spent on this film if only they had wanted to. Yeah, they're all lit the same, which is to say, are they lit? <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, if you look look at the... Uh, okay, so if you... 
If you watch the documentary Electric Boogaloo, the wild story of Canon films, it paints a picture of dangerous shooting sets and guerrilla filmmaking in the streets without permits or clearance, where every corner was cut to avoid expense, where stuntmen and women, as well as actors and crew, were bidden to endure worrying levels of pain and personal risk. A loose, shadily managed, greedily ambitious organisation... When I say organisation, asterisk. When you say ambitious, asterisk. Well, no, they were ambitious in terms of they just wanted to keep making films and keep making money from those films, where workers were probably paid in cocaine or hot dogs. Or and, both. And first one, then the other. And from that absurdly irresponsible work ethic arose a bulging library of shonky films, some of which are immensely entertaining often because they did things that regular movies just plain wouldn't, because there'd be no reason to. They had nothing to lose and a sensibility bordering on pornography. And the trio of narratively unrelated ninja films that we have picked tonight make for three fantastic evenings worth of entertainment. The bad news is that these three are hard to come by, especially in the UK, where they have only ever been released on disc once in a 2016 Blu-ray and DVD combi pack called the Ninja Trilogy. So, like, if you wanted to get it on DVD, that's the pack you get. If you wanted to get it on Blu-ray, that is also the pack you get. Like, everyone who has it on Blu-ray also has it on DVD. You can't have one without the other, and it's ridiculously expensive. It's now out of print and costs around £47 on eBay. I was very lucky to find a shop-soiled box set at a price that wasn't quite as insane because the prints processed by Eureka, who have made splendid work of movies that were never intended to look this good, were totally worth that price that I paid. From the shitty German Blu-ray of Ninja 3 The Domination that I brought beforehand and immediately flipped back and resold, I wasn't aware that this was shot on film, not even on video. If you told me that these movies were shot on toilet roll, I would believe you. But... The Eureka box set is exquisite, and I believe they're the same sort of prints as the ones uh, on Shout Factory in America. Luckily, our American guests were able to catch all three screenings on Amazon Prime Video. How did they look? They looked really well. They looked really good, actually. Um, I was Mm. surprised, um, considering the quality of film. Yeah. The quality of film. I would would agree with that. Better than expected. Yeah. And there's no way that when they were screened in cinemas that they looked anything like this good back then because it would have been like Travis Bickle frequented those kind of cinemas. So hello to Hollywood Ninja Maya Santandrea. I will never look at a can of V8 the same way ever again. (laughs) Delicious and deadly. And from sequentially yours with their lethal powers of observation and deconstruction, Karen Nagisa. I feel like Dragon Sound might have lied to me. (laughs) And Debbie Morse. Hello. These films were described by the director of the second two to have followed the canon quota, which is an hour and a half running time, no matter what. Like a couple of the, like, I think for two, they shot a whole lot more stuff, but it just wasn't able to make the final cut because it was an hour and a half, no matter what. So of that uh, hour and a half, we need 50% plot, which leaves the remaining 45 minutes for, and I quote, lots of action, plenty of fight scenes, explosions, and hints of sex, which it has. (laughs) 
And I feel like the five of us are best off running you through these films as that you probably haven't ever watched and making a meal of the moment of absurdity. Just to say, by the way, Carrie, you mentioned uh, uh, Dragon Sound. If you think for even a second that I watched any of these movies without Against the Ninja Against running the on a ninja. constant loop through my head, you are wrong, Oh, sir. yeah. We must stop this evil war. How could you not? the third one where that girl is just disco dancing. Yeah. Oh, yes. my God, yeah. <laughs> Listen to our 2018 episode on Miami Connection to better understand that particular taekwondo rock band, Dragon Sound. That one is fun times. So the first movie is the White Guy Karate installment of this quote-unquote trilogy starring Franco Nero, the Italian actor and star of the original Django. He was the guy who turns up in the bar uh, after the uh, horrible wrestling match in Django Unchained, uh, and Django say like the D is silent, and that's that's Franco Nero. Um, and Franco had to have his lines dubbed because his English was not great, and he plays Cole, the uh, white ninja. And uh, the second of the quote-unquote trilogy focuses on a Japanese man, played by Shokasugi, and the third uh, focuses on an American white woman who's also an aerobics instructor. A possible fourth would be American Ninja, uh, where it comes full circle and gives us white guy karate, with a man who can speak English as a first language, Michael Dudikoff. American Ninja, directed by Sam Furstenberg, who directed the second and third of these three. In a way, it's actually a quadrilogy of entirely unrelated films with the word ninja in the title produced by Canon. Plus, American Ninja spawned four sequels. American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, American Ninja 3, Blood Hunt, American Ninja 4, The Annihilation, and a film called American Ninja 5 in some territories, but also Lethal Ninja, American Dragons, and Little Ninja Man. Yes. <laughs> The Ninja Trilogy, such as it is, is also not to be confused with the Three Ninjas Trilogy, a kid-focused trio of four films inspired by the Ninja Turtles. Three Ninjas, Three Ninjas Kickback, Three Ninjas Knuckle Up, and Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain, starring massive racist Hulk Hogan, which is currently languishing at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Where it should. Starring massive racist Hulk Hogan. It was in some territories. (laughs) was the actual <laughs> translation of the, the words. Surf Ninjas is definitely not part of that series. And at some point... I, but it 
really should no, be. Definitely not. <laughs> I feel like we need to talk about Golden Ninja Warrior and Ninja Terminator, which is about neither a ninja nor a Terminator. Or a Terminator. Yeah. I was about a Terminator of ninjas or a ninja who terminates, but it's, it's about the unrelated. A green cagoule. Or a Terminator too many of these movies and decides he wants to be a ninja. Please don't play that drinking game, folks. <laughs> I definitely need to talk about Ninja Assassin. Maybe Ninja 2 Shadow of a Tear that Sharon's mentioned before and its prequel, bafflingly titled... <laughs> Ninja. <laughs> because they didn't want you would think that Ninja 3 in this trilogy would be the third Ninja and Ninja 2 Shadow of a Tear, but no. It is entirely unrelated to those ones. I don't even I don't even know what I, I could understand if they were like, right, they have made a whole bunch of ninja movies in the past. We are gonna make the definitive ninja movie. Hence we're we're just gonna call it ninja. That's how important it is. But I've forgotten everything that happens in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we will save those for another time. However, American Ninja, also put out by Canon Films, does not contain the Japanese actor Shokasugi, and these first three do. So I can see why Shout Factory and Eureka threaded these three together for remastering, because he's the binding factor. Sho is a stoic, serious martial arts talent who plays it straight for all three movies. In the first one, he's Hasagawa, a Darth Maul-style villain with a Storm Shadow grudge. In the second one, he is Cho Osaki, who is the star of the movie itself, forced out of his tragedy-based retirement, John Wick style. In the third one, he is Goro Yamada. Which I don't think they ever say on screen. I know they they call him Yamada in the trailer, but they yeah, also they in the trailer say, you know... Ninja 3 The Domination picks up where Ninja, sorry, where Revenge of the Ninja left off. It doesn't. No, not at all. It's nothing to do with, it shouldn't be called Ninja 3 because it's not the third of anything. No, they may as well have just called it Ninja The Domination. They seem to like that little subtitle anyway. It's a possession. It's a possession. But the uh, Amazon Amazon has uh, entered the ninja on both of them, and one of them makes the description on it makes it sound like an instructional video. Uh huh. Ah, like yeah. Yeah, it makes it. I can't really? remember exactly what it says, but something to the effect: learn the secrets of the ninja and and their techniques for invisibility. It's what what is oh, going oh, on no. here? Are they, Okay. There, there is there is nothing to be learned in that first ninja <laughs> movie except poor filmmaking. Yes. yes. Let's get that out of the way. How not to rack a shotgun. So, yeah, in the third yes. one, um, Shokasugi is in it, but he's not the star anymore. He's he's kind of more of a combination of Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction, that's uh, Harvey Keitel's character, and Tangina Barons in Poltergeist, the, oh, oh, child, you got a ghost ninja in you, brought in to deal <laughs> with an unexpected ninja possession, which is what it should have been called. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to give us... 30 minutes on each of these so we can pace ourselves and avoid waffle. Let's focus, like I said, on the weird bits. Like, we don't have to talk so much through the plot, just like, well, this thing happened and it was weird. So we begin with Enter the Ninja from 1981. 
a uh, this is a martial arts de- demonstration, and it reminded me of the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, which I think we only saw this year, which is an absolute classic of martial arts movies. It's not particularly fantastic, but it really does lay down a lot of the the, the patterns that would follow in a lot of other movies. So you've got Shokasugi doing loads of ninja weapons. And he's like, you know, ninja stars, and I'm going to use nunchucks, and now I'm going to use a sword, and now I'm going to use some tonfas, and now I'm going to use, like, a sickle thing. And at the very end of this demonstration, a white ninja goes, nah, and just sort of jumps in and kicks him in the face. And it's like, oh, you thought this ninja was tough. Well, we got a white guy who's even tougher. Could I say something about that little opening sequence just real quick? Go for it. Okay, so we're not even into the movie proper yet, right? Like, we're still running the credits, and ninjas when yeah and when when the ninja comes in for that kick it is a total miss it does not connect at all and i think (laughs) that is a good indication of what this movie is about to show you like we're not even into the main film and the kicks don't even connect yeah well i mean that's what happens when you hire uh, sir lancelot to be your ninja is that he wins no matter what (laughs) I guess so. <laughs> no, that, that's the only thing I could think of in this movie was Lancelot from Camelot, because that's my first Franco Nero, and it always will be the thing I associate him okay. with. Nice. One thing I really like about this opening sequence, actually, it is a perfect color-coded outline of my uh, reverse theory of ninja competence. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, we kept saying yes. that. What happens is you have the uh, the ninja in white who is obviously your hero. Then you have the ninja in black, single ninja in black, who is ridiculously capable. Um, He demonstrates a lot of the various moves that you're going to be hopefully seeing more of throughout the film. Um, And then over the hill, you suddenly get this huge group of red-clad ninjas, all of whom individually are shit, and who as a group are not even vaguely capable of taking down Mr. Hero White Ninja. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's that's white guy karate for you it's this that kind of like as with avatar like this white guy comes to japan and is the best ninja of all time yes and like that's a movie we didn't see like he leaves that movie behind and walks away in a completely white suit with flared white trousers because even though it was made in 81 we're in that transitional period where everyone's still clinging to the 70s mm-hmm. Yeah. He walks yeah. out of that movie and into Rambo First Blood 2. Kind of a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, For real. That... And then apparently this whole opening sequence is just his, I guess, his final exam for being a ninja. Yeah, like his ninjutsu. No, it's the it is his like his final test because the point is he is then judged to have passed, and Shokasugi is unhappy with this. <laughs> Yeah, because well, okay. he didn't do as well in the written part. We don't see that on screen. <laughs> <laughs> like he he kills all of these red ninjas, and it turns out that he didn't kill them. But the last thing he does is go to his master, his like his. Uh, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn, but like Mr. Miyagi type, who sort of, like, he bows to him, and the master sort of bows, and then he cuts his fucking head off, and it's like, what What are we doing? And then he yeah, walks... What like, just happened? ...onto the head, and sort of lays it at the feet of his master, who's now kneeling, and it's like, well done, you cut off my head. Uh, yes, and- master, <laughs> I have brought you your own head. Can I have my... Can I have my bed badge of honor now? Yeah. <laughs> my ninja license. <laughs> right there in front of him. It's in the trailer, and anyone watching is like, what? Why does it have his own head? 
What, what is this? this? Well, yeah. it, why, why in universe? Why does he have his own fake head? Why? Great question. <laughs> that, that does kind of set up a little something that happens in two in revenge, though, which we'll yeah. talk about later. Yeah, we'll but get to that. Just the, just the thirty that. minute timer has begun, by the way. Yes, folks. I, know, I know. The um, what you were saying about he kills all these red ninjas, but they're not really dead. Is that what the the director was talking about in the commentary when he says, "Oh, then they're all not all really dead. They're just pretending." because yeah. I thought he meant the actors are pretending. <laughs> Oh, we didn't murder a bunch of actors on set. <laughs> well, even Cannon's not that bad. <laughs> well, uh, what a, man, depending on where they actually shot this, I mean, <laughs> that could have been what happened. Well, that one was in Manila, so apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. One of them, like, he slashes his ninja sword across their ninja face and blood gushes out. I'm like... Was that like a blood packet that he was holding in his mouth? He's like, right, so you're going to slash me across the face. And I'll go, oh, no. Why do they have to make it look so realistic? (laughs) And he's still sitting there with the fake blood on his face when he was kneeling, waiting for the ceremony to finish. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was the the first ninja that got into the room, the first red ninja that went to the room and kneeled down. So immediately afterwards, the ninjas are all sitting at trestle tables having a barbecue, and uh, although they, they would call it a hibachi, and um, they're, they're, they're sitting around chowing down, and one of the ninjas is pissed. This is Shokasugi, and like I said, he's in this at the very beginning, and then a, a, a little bit near the end, and then he's the final guy that he fights, which is why he's Darth Maul. Uh, but he's yeah. also Storm Shadow. Like, this is literally Storm Shadow being really pissed that Snake Eyes gets to be the best ninja of the Arishikagi clan. Oh, Jesus. I didn't even realize <laughs> I committed that to memory. I almost got a Storm Shadow red tattoo on my uh, forearm one time. I was like, should wow. I? Do I like G.I. Joe that I, much? Oh, my God. I thought you were about to say forehead for a second, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> No. No, I mean that the red, like a, a series of squares and things. It means uh, the one who is complete. Um, but yeah, either way, this guy. And also, side note, they they're still making a Snake Eyes movie. Everyone involved in it is uh, like someone from something before that's rubbish, apart from Henry Golding as Snake Eyes. And I'm like, yes, that potentially could be good but everyone involved in it like makes me think it's going to be rubbish but there's one bit in the steven summers gi joe movie where these two kids snake eyes and storm shadow as kids are fighting in a kitchen and they're kicking the shit out of each other and it is fucking fantastic like the one playing snake eyes is hungry and he keeps trying to like grab buns and eat them while fighting it's a totally jackie chan (laughs) move it is the best kid fight i've ever seen and the second movie in this series is the second best kid fight I've ever seen, as in the second movie that we're going to be talking about in a bit. Yeah, with the Snake Eyes movie, though, they should just do it with no dialogue at all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, just yeah. Silent. Um, silent film. So, but I think I can under I think I can understand Hasegawa's point uh, mm-hmm. because I did some research and I found some interesting things about Ninja that, and of course, Shokasugi um, studied Ninpo and is like a legit ninja. He was mm-hmm. the technical advisor in all three of these films. Mm-hmm. So I did some research. I found that that. Uh, one, ninjas are mammals. Two, ninjas <laughs> fight all the time. And three, the purpose of the ninja is to flip out and kill people. So really, we're just falling into uh, category three here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, apparently Franco Nero's version of the ninja actually is a really good dude and wants to help people. This film is weirdly good-hearted. Hmm. 
Yeah. You would think that it's just like, like, yeah. a, like a grindhouse schlocker, but it's like he just wants to try and help a village. Mm. Well, he's totally Ronin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's Wolverine in the Wolverine, and yeah, he's... Yeah. Uh, there, there is that one weird part, which we'll get to later, where there's a bit of uh, lady sharing kind oh, of going yes. on. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I thought that I was part kidding. I found a, a bit dishonorable, but yeah. I mean... I, because has, we have no context for it, but we'll we'll get to it later yeah. in the film. But. We got to get him to the Philippines because he leaves Japan behind, goes to the Philippines, and he's he meets up with his old buddy from the war, uh, Frank. Is it Frank? Uh, right, yes, yeah. Frank. Yeah, who looks like he's a Brundlefly of James Caan from The Godfather and Albert Brooks from Network. I thought it was. <laughs> and um, uh, he he also has a wife. He has a wife. Mary <laughs> and sounds like Julie Christie. And I just need to yeah. double. Uh, and that is Susan George. Yeah. And she classes this joint up. Like she she delivers everything totally seriously, but in a like a really good, sort of like, you know, charismatic British way. And and she cares about the people that, that they're trying to help the local villagers unionize or something. Or? Well, no, they, they run um a, some kind of business and they are constantly trying to hire in workers. And the workers are being deterred shall we say by the local enforcers because they want um frank and marianne's uh plantation or whatever it is that they're yeah. running to fall over because they don't have any staff yeah and if that happens then they will be able to buy their land cheap yeah the big right. bad guy basically wants them out of this like they're in his way but there is this uh there's a, a scene where they come into the local bar in an attempt to find some dudes to hire and it's juxtaposed quite neatly with a, a later scene where the bad guy is trying to find some dudes to hire. Mm. And Marianne is like, okay, if you come and work for us, you'll get a fair wage, you'll get decent quarters, we can uh, promise you a, a contract of at least a year. Um, you, It's a really good job, come and work for us. And then you've got... Um, Mr. Venarius's right-hand man, Mr. Parker, who turns up at the docks and says, we have vacancies, there's going to be tryouts. It's the, totally the scene <laughs> in The Dark Knight when the Joker snaps that pool cue in half and says oh, there's yeah. only one vacancy yeah. and yeah. throws it to those we'll guys. We'll kill each other and we'll have tryouts left. <laughs> That's so, the guy with the hook, correct? Yeah, there's a guy named Hook who has a hook. And he's His name is so original. Yeah, and he's yeah. he uh, the actor playing him is having a whale of a time. He's basically um, uh, Peter Laurie in Casablanca. He's like, oh, really? You <laughs> yes. have yeah. just, My first just, thought was that if this was made today, um, Timothy Spall would be playing this character. Oh yeah, he's a bit. Yeah. Of a Mm-hmm. If it was made ten years ago, maybe probably not now. But okay, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. spoil anything. But I do like the fact that he doesn't get killed. Yeah, yeah. although there's a bit where um, one guy gets dragged around by a truck around like a horse ranch, and then Franco Nero go, jumps in there wearing this like a, a, sort of a. A, a, a perfectly pure white Andy Cap hat for some reason. I'm just staring at this hat while he's doing these high kicks. But then he grabs the hook guy and he rips his hook clean off his arm, leaving a bloody stump. And then and they just sort yeah, of that's sets how it his work. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it, the the thing that will tell you, like like uh, just to the listeners, that will give you some of the like the whole 
the whole tone of this movie is we were riffing this thing from minute one to the very end. We we were making jokes all over the place. It's so oh yeah. Right. Yeah. That. The, the thing with Hook, I think, that's important, because when they introduce him, he, you know, he has a good five minutes of, all right, he's, you know, he seems like he could be a decent enforcer for this place. But then he becomes a comedy villain. Mm. And that sets the yeah. tone for the movie where all of the villains are comedy villains. Yeah. yeah. This is the thing. Yeah, you, you've got the... the... <sighs> What Everyone's kind of pathetic villain. apart from Shogasuki. Everybody's got these um, very distinct accents. That seems to be what they've gone for. And so... Uh, they had to overdub everything because Franco yeah. Nero had to be overdubbed. So they they made it match by ADRing everyone. Everybody, that way yeah. they wouldn't have to record any sound on set. <laughs> yeah. Save money that way. Yeah, we didn't have to buy any outdoor microphones. Um, exactly. Or microphones. Uh, so Siegfried is this sort of weird toadying little... Is he German or... Or Dutch, yeah, German, very definitely. Then you've got uh, the the big boss, who's Mister Benarius, mm. who's sort of this very narcissistic and dramatic uh, American businessman, who clearly is only interested in manipulating the world around him so that everybody does what he says when he says it, um, which is outlined quite neatly actually by the fact that he's got right. He reminds me of Paul Gleason from The Breakfast Club and Die Hard, by the way. Yes, he does yeah. a little bit. Really? He, he reminded he reminded me of Willem Dafoe. Like a lot. I yeah, didn't expect him to show yeah. Spider-Man at any point. Like that was Oh the, my the, god, I got the, such a Green Goblin vibe from him. <laughs> but he has this office where all of his uh, people who are actually doing what presumably are the legit business side of his deals. And in the middle of this office is a huge swimming pool for mm. no reason. No reason whatsoever. <laughs> There are constantly girls swimming in this pool, which is a major distraction for anybody actually trying to do yeah. some work. And, and matching bathing suits. Yeah, it's almost like, like if you're going to do synchronized swimming or something. Well, he's, he's, yeah. kind of, he's arranged them into sort of a synchronized swimming routine yeah. and seems to consider them some kind of living work of art. He's conducting <laughs> them with a baton. He is. Yeah. <laughs> And his his kind of childlike narcissism is outlined really neatly. I want it, I want it, I want, I want it. it now. Yeah, exactly. I want my office to have a swimming pool. A yes. swimming pool full of hot babes. And that's what I'm gonna get. I mean I guess to, I guess if you need to boost the morale of of your goons, it kinda works. It's a little bit yeah, like little Gideon thinking yeah, about it. He's a bit, yeah. But at the very end, when he's been beaten, he sucks his thumb. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when he's thinking about, oh no, the ninja's going to sneak in, he's like, it's it's very strange. It, I don't know whose choice it was, but it feels like canon films were like, if you want to do something, just go with it. Indeed. But anyway, in between these two, Hook with his tweely little German accent and Venarius with his big, boisterous American accent, we have Mr. Parker. Mr. Parker. Chief henchman, Mr. Parker, who has got the most plummy, neutral, plummy, Boring English accent, but I <laughs> he never raises it above like <clears throat> just a chat. He sounds like level. some he sounds like a, a, a supply teacher from Harry Potter. Yeah, absolutely. 
doing a vague impression of Michael Caine, but not much. There is no passion. There is no emphasis. There is no nothing in his delivery whatsoever. Even when he's talking about take these people out and kill them, there is just nothing. This guy never raises a sweat. But he's so entertaining. He's like, oh, do you mean the ninjas, sir? Yeah. The uh, the ancient Japanese cult who uh, practiced the deadly <laughs> art. Uh, they also have magic and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yes, Mr. Uh, Parker, thank you very much for that exposition. You may leave now. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. ninja. He goes to see a ninja agent in Japan. It's like, meanwhile, in Tokyo. And like he's doing, <laughs> and the guy's like uh, like showing him a catalogue and like, so so you want an acrobatic swordsman? He's like, what do you have in a, a ninja? <laughs> oh, yeah, he thinks that they're like casting an actor or something. He's like, no, 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 no. I need an actual honest to goodness ninja, like the real thing. Dude, a ninja. I'll get you a ninja inside of an hour. The reason why he's had to do this. So basically, there are ways, dude. Cole, who is Franco Nero, who is a mate of Frank's and rather likes Marianne. We'll get to that in a minute, Maya. Um, he has been you know. helping um, fight off the goons. Yeah, who to, were trying to muscle in on the business. Trying to muscle in the business. And uh, it's kind of like walking tall. Uh, it's a lot like walking tall. Yeah. yeah. So Venarius is very unhappy about this. Which itself is kind of like Chano O'Brien. Yeah. Continue, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because he can't buy the land cheap if it's successful, so he needs to get rid of coal so that he can go back to his previous hostility. No one just says shoot him. No, because only a ninja can destroy another ninja. Only a ninja Sneak up on another ninja. Side, you're going to have to go to Tokyo and get me a ninja. Do you know what's cheaper than a flight to Tokyo and walking around going, uh, do you know of any ninjas around here? A gun. <laughs> Only one person in this movie has a gun, and it's this Eric Idle-looking guy who turns up and like sneak, <laughs> tries to sneak up on Franco Nero, and, and Nero just like grabs him, throws him against the wall, and goes, uh, you know, give your boss a message. And he's like, uh, okay, uh, no. And he tries to pull a gun, and Franco Nero just chops him in the neck, and then he's down. Mm. But he's again, he's another one of these pathetic henchmen who don't really amount to anything. Marianne has a shotgun. Okay. Marianne, we got to we got to mention here. There's a we watched this whole movie and I thought I never realized that Marianne was Frank's wife. And then we watched really? it again today and and we, we just thought she was his his PA. We or... must have been talking for the <laughs> crucial bit where uh, uh Franco Nero says how's married life treating you yeah. when yes. he's getting Yes, he yes, he definitely mentions that. He's and he's you know, he's surprised about it because yeah. we're to understand that he used to be a bit of a player and he was a soldier before. So yeah. that kind of makes sense. They right. probably had that bit of a life going on when they were uh soldiers fighting together. But yeah, they definitely make that distinction which makes it even weirder later on. Yeah. Actually, Debbie and I had a theory about that. Okay. If you want to explain. Sure, sure. Um, 
So, well, first of all, I want to mention that right when, number one, uh, Franco Nero, what's his character? Cole. Cole. Cole sneaks onto the property of his supposed friend at this time, gets on, like, climbs over their gate, and she comes out and meets him with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to rough her up, and pretty sure he copped a feel. Yeah, that, that was he the actor definitely, definitely grabbing her. No, he definitely did. There was a full-on boob grab in there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, like, she looks pissed and, like... And it's abuse. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Frank comes comes out of the house and he's like, you know, the, the, the gist of which is, Cole, you old son of a bitch. You know, that, that yeah. kind of kind of thing. And so he comes in and the atmosphere between Marianne and Frank in this scene is like a minus a thousand degrees. She is very, very clearly very pissed. And Frank it's like before midnight, and Frank has walked sideways and into it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think the reason why he, uh, why uh, Cole was surprised, is that we're pretty sure that Cole and Frank were fucking during the war. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know what? I could, I could definitely see that. Oh, these yeah. guys looks like these guys look like they they used to get down with each other. Oh, they were buddies, definitely. They got yeah. very close in the, the trip. The way- hey, man, you know it's it's a war. You know, any port in a storm, you just you <laughs> take you take what you can get. Sometimes it's not gay. It's not gay section. because they were it was wartime, man. <laughs> they were desperate. What happens <laughs> in the the uh, was it the African War? At Hold one on. point, they say something about the African uh, War. I think. I guess the Congo. I think they mentioned Angola, maybe. Oh, Angola, yeah, that's right. At it one point, Angola. but there were multiple flashbacks. So, so this, this I, Frank and, and uh, Cole are sitting in a bar, and Frank's like, I can't pleasure my wife, you know, in the sack. I just, you know, I just, I can't anymore. And then he sort of like slaps him and goes, oh, I don't know, da 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 Cut to then... The the wife Marianne is walking through this big house in a very skimpy kind of like long, thinly veiled negligee type thing. Walks over to Franco Nero in a bed with his great big mustache, reading a book, big bare chest, and then she just slowly gets into bed with him. But that's not really the weird part. I mean, <laughs> the, the thing gets a bit like. What's going on here and never gets resolved is yeah. the Lady Chatterley's Lover style breakfast the next morning where Frank is eating what appears to be a soup tureen of peanut butter <laughs> with a spoon. <laughs> and so I slept like a baby last night. We got to do some ninja things because they did yesterday. Yesterday, and I just oh, I had the best sleep ever. How about you, honey? You getting enough sack time? And like they're looking at each other and he's looking at that. And it's it's uh. like... Did he say, go and fuck my friend to her? Or did she drug him? Or did he say, whatever you do, don't fuck him? And she did it anyway? What the hell are we not it's, seeing in this? It is not, it, this is not made clear at any I, point, And it never gets resolved. Yeah. I, I, I was pretty sure that conversation was, please sleep with my wife because I can't. I was joking about it. And then it follows up immediately with the scene where she goes into his bedroom and they turn off the light and never have a sex scene, thankfully. Because I can only imagine how terrible a sex scene would be in this movie. Yeah. Then what happens is that the villain goes, oh shit, we were told 90 minutes and 90 minutes. Time to tick in. Yeah, we got time to resolve the relationship. 
relationship drama. Let's move on. Let's to move on. So, um, uh, Shokasugi's uh, uh, Yamada turns up, and is it? Hang on, is he? Hasegawa. Hasegawa. It's it's a bit confusing, folks. The bad ninja that he plays in this trilogy turns up, and he giggles while he's infiltrating this compound. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's like, you know, slitting throats and like yanking people's balls and things like that. And then he he gets Frank down on his knees in front of Marianne, who he's tied cruciform to a tree just so she can witness her husband having his throat cut so that um, we can really piss off this white ninja. It's like it's like the villain, the main bad guy, has gone, I really, really, really have too many henchmen, and I want them all killed by a ninja. What's the best way to do it? Kill his yeah. best friend, kidnap his best friend's wife, whom he's also fucking question mark. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing that uh, gets me about this is that the reason why Hasegawa was there is that Parker went specifically to um cole's ninja clan the head of cole's ninja clan who was like ah so you know you realize that we're non-violent ninjas we only really do good things you have pure intentions right and parker's like yes yes of course i do definitely the purest of intentions like all right cool i'm gonna send the guy who's angry at cole go but like they don't actually say his name's cole do they they don't know so storm shadow goes there not knowing who he's going to fight and then at the end he's like Oh, this is cool. I guess I could finally settle this old grudge. Like, yeah. The the scene where he's really cross at the barbecue at the beginning, he's like, oh, I can't believe this gaijin got to be a ninja, is really like that bit in uh, uh, Kill Bill when um, Boss Tanaka is mm. pissed that Orin Ishii got to be head of but the... But the head uh, had already mm, been collected yeah. by that point. So. Yeah. So, uh, but, so Franco Nero, because he's a nice ninja, doesn't gallop across the table and cut his fucking head off immediately. And he probably couldn't anyway, because this is uh, a hard-to-kill Shokasugi. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's also but, not supposed to be a gang either, so I don't yeah. think that would have flown very well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I will just it's... say, just, just to divert back to the, the drama for a moment, one thing that surprised and impressed me about this movie mm-hmm. is that after the... Um, the <laughs> the uh, horrible breakfast scene and before we what, get the on peanut to, butter the peanut butter, <laughs> and before we get on to the um uh, ninja killing everybody in the garden scene there is uh, an interaction between frank and marianne where he's clearly trying to reach out and make some kind of reconciliation with her and combined with his earlier conversation with Frank, uh, with um, Cole, sorry, where he's talking about the fact that being a soldier has obviously left quite a traumatic imprint on him. Um, He is having difficulties sexually and it probably ties up with all of the trauma that he's experienced. Mm. He is uh, basically a functioning alcoholic at this point, which has been picked uh, picked up on by both Marianne and Cole. Mm. Um, Functioning question mark. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, He doesn't do much in this. the, The way that they actually bring this stuff up and converse about it and let Frank's vulnerability kind of bubble up to the surface. In a million years, I would not have expected any of that in this kind of Male vulnerability in a canon film, a ninja canon film. Yeah. That scene, I noticed it and commented on it as well. I was like, that scene was really, really good. It was well acted from both of them it was very sincere 
I yeah. bought it completely. That was one of the not throwing shade on impotence here. Oh, it God, happens no. a lot to a lot of people. It's more a case of we the, we are like observing their lack of communication and clarity and going bad things are going to happen. But here. it's very unusual for people to admit it and discuss it with their mates yeah. who might have, you know, sympathy and have gone through something. And similar. you maybe needed to discuss it with Marianne before the ninja got you. Well, yes, that would have been a good yeah. idea. Well, he was trying to mm. discuss it with yeah. her, but she... That kind but of she was like, you old bastard. But when, yeah. the, when they're in the dining room and the explosion goes off, the other thing I noticed that kind of ties in with all of this is his reaction to the, the sudden explosion mm. is way more intense than hers. He practically dives into a foxhole. He's yeah. cowering in the doorway, trying to cover his head up, shouting to her to make she sh sure she's okay. She's she goes storming out the there with the shotgun. Yeah, because yeah. he has PTSD yeah. but again, and she doesn't. This is, exactly, this is consistent with his previous experiences. Which is a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, I completely forgot to mention at the beginning when we see Hook first like shaking down a, a souvenir shop, a guy sidles up to... Uh, our hero Cole and goes want to buy some dirty pictures and like opens the left side of his jacket and it's full of girls with their tits out in photographs that he's sewn into the lining and then he goes you don't like that how about this opens the right side crucifixes surely this yes. is something you want to establish before you make your initial proposal uh, sir I, I may have something that interests you may I ask a question which do you prefer titties or Jesus <laughs> Jesus, oh, you about... say? Well, look on the right hand side. You put it another way. What are you buying? <laughs> what are you saying? Exactly. <laughs> and and we're to understand that this homeless man now becomes part of Cole's team later. Like he just yeah, kind of shows up and hangs around. <laughs> so I, I was draw I was really um, confused because he says his name is Dollars, mm -hmm. but his sign says Dollar apostrophe F's. Gifts. Is his name Dollar or Dollars? I have no idea. It's dollar is. Dollar so, is. <laughs> so um, after the, the compound of his buddy is uh, infiltrated, and rather than just going after the ninja, the ninja who gets hired to take out this ninja just makes the ninja angry, thus luring him to the bad guy hideout. Franco Nero's Cole, dressed all in white, just like Storm Shadow, the good ninja, just sneaks in there. He's killing dudes and then a secretary freaks out and runs off but she's within earshot of the swimming pool where everyone's just sitting and chatting franco nero leans around the corner looks at the swimming pool and goes nah and then goes sneaking up a small spiral staircase in the botanical garden in the center and then drops down into the swimming pool and goes ha, -ha! and everyone goes ah! and runs away it's like Dude, you could have saved yourself a walk up to the roof and then jump down. Like, you're jumping onto a slippery swimming pool floor. Like, you might actually go ask about tit. You're just because you're a ninja doesn't mean you have perfect balance. Also, why did you risk that? Because you're a ninja, surely you are aware that one of the fundamental elements of being a ninja is sneaking, not jumping into a room filled with people and going, ah! Right. This guy has not no concept of stealth whatsoever. <laughs> None of He wears a white outfit. Well, yeah, that's I mean, the it's other like thing. Moon Knight. Like I wear white, white, the bad guys see me coming. I kind of get the white thing. In this ninja trilogy, that thing where the bad ninja sneaks into the compound 
is the only at night ninjuring we ever get to see. Every other ninja attacks in broad fucking daylight. Um, you know how we already established that um, cannon wouldn't spring for outdoor microphones? They also it wouldn't, wouldn't spring, spring for, for lights. No night shoots. No, they're expensive. We can't do them. We also <laughs> they're aren't only Yeah, they're only using light. the lights that are already inside the building where they're filming. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, but also, like these ninjas attack in bright, bright daylight. On infinite radial planes with nothing to hide behind. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, they are the most conspicuous ninjas you ever did see. <laughs> the, 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 the second film takes place, they say, in LA, but it's mostly shot in Salt Lake City. That's Utah, a salt flat. It's as white and flat and visible as you could possibly get of a landscape for a ninja. Yep, nary a tree to climb. Just. <laughs> Think, it's like ninjas are going, you know what? I've got too many advantages here. <laughs> I'm going to attack the cops so they can really see me coming with my antiquated feudal Japan weapons. Anyway, oh, we've oh, the alarm just went off, which means we have to fast track towards the end. Um, like I said, he, he sneaks into this hideout, jumps down in front of the swimming pool, everyone goes, ah! And Parker comes out and goes, oh... Well, you didn't have to kill all the henchmen, but uh, I was asked to take you to uh, the, the, be- the the head honcho himself anyway. So uh, how about you come with me? I like your outfit. Who's your tailor? And it's like, oh, oh you're that's, fu- that's actually a line. <laughs> that's yeah. a line. And then he ta- they take him to like a sports arena that's also a restaurant or something. <laughs> it was a cockfighting arena. A cockfight. Does yeah, it... the cock the cockfighting is like a recurring theme in this yeah. movie for some reason. Act, it was that very was an upsetting. Cockfight arena that they filmed in actually. That was like legit vanilla. Wait, recurring, Maya. What you mean is they mention it once at the beginning and then it turns up now. There's a really excited guy who's like, "Oh, should we organize a cockfight for our new guest?" And it's like, "Wow, that's a weird treat to be okay. suddenly." Well, they, they did it, it again. Frank did a cockfight um, just before they did the uh, drag around the drag him around the, um, mm-hmm. the thing. Lot. Yeah, the parking yeah, lot. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, with the polo match. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you could say, like, let's have a slap-up chicken dinner. Or would you prefer to see one chicken kill the other first? (laughs) (laughs) That's the drumsticks. Okay. So. So this guy, the the rotten teacher from the breakfast club, is just standing there waiting for, like, his, his ninja has not turned up reliably. His Darth Maul is not here helping out. All these henchmen wearing white, you, like you said, Sharon, the color scheme is all wrong in this. All the henchmen are wearing white, so is the ninja. Yep. Differentiate. Everyone wears a white suit. Have your main dude wear black, or even better, because he's like a white guy ninja, have him wear red, because the camouflage is for shit anyway, so have him wear camouflage. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter. Have him wear blue. Have him wear rainbow ninja outfit. But like, there's no point having all white wearing henchmen just so the blood really shows up. And also because of the amount of squibs and blood they use, you know this was all like one take deaths. They weren't paying for a second jacket or or dry. (laughs) Couldn't afford more than one take. I I can almost guarantee that these henchmen were all asked, "Do you have a white suit? Get a white suit." And (laughs) so, so this. Storm Shadow runs around the place, killing all of them. And then um, the uh, dude from Die Hard's like, sort of, hey, 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 I really did want to talk. Like, ninja guy, I know you're out there. Can we talk? And then 
Parker is holding Julie Christie, like Marianne, Marianne um, hostage. And then uh, Cole turns up and fires an arrow straight through him. And he goes, oh, I've been injured, sir. And then falls down. <laughs> <laughs> now, hang on. That's not, it's, it's, that's, it's not the end of him because um, Paul Gleason, uh, you know, goes, oh, uh, you know what? Actually, I'm in need of a new henchman. And then shoots his old, like, Hedge mm-hmm. main hedge dude right in the heart. He's like, "Oh, sir! Oh, I've wasted my life!" And then just flops down dead. Down I go. It's, it's such a tragedy. It is. But then, like, he's like, "Right, so let's negotiate." And he's, you've got nothing to negotiate with. All your henchmen are dead. You really pissed off a ninja here. And then he gets. And you lost your hostage. Then he gets. How does yeah. he get killed? Like, is it like a ninja star or a? There's this one bit where, like, I don't know which one it's in now. He, like, jumps down in front of two guys with two side daggers and starts spinning them like this. And they're like, what's this jazz? I don't know, brother. And then he throws them that both. That is this. That is this. Directly. And they just, it's like, it's like these henchmen are more amused by his ninja antics. And that's their undoing. Mm. Every also- villain except for Hasegawa is a comedy villain in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, Every single one. There's caltrops, which if you've ever played Tenchu Stealth Assassin, oh my God. they're these spiky tricorner thingies that you're supposed to scatter on the floor so that when people wearing thin sandals run after you, they go through their feet and like they go, oh shit, and then they can't run properly and they're injured. That's like a dirty ninja trick. In they're basically the- they're basically ninja version of Lego pieces. Yeah. They st- look like Lego. jacks. In this movie, they look like metal jacks. Yeah. But in this movie series, not once but twice do caltrops get used, and the only thing they get used for is in the face. Yeah, this- they just, <laughs> which is actually a really funny scene where it just like he throws them, and it cuts to a guy with them just stuck into his face, going ah. <laughs> this is an impractical use of them, although I admire your ingenuity. And down I go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like he kills <laughs> Paul Gleason, this, this Lionel Blair-looking guy. Because this is the one with the belt, isn't it? Oh, is no, it? That's, no, that's two. That's Sorry. two. Right. They yeah. they blend together. But Paul Gleason, like it's not Paul Gleason, but Mister, what's his name? Like he gets killed, and then in slow motion he falls down. This is the guy who was sucking his thumb earlier, and he kind of shrugs and just kind of. It is a live action version of the Guess I'll Die guy. (laughs) Absolutely. It's just so silly. A biscuit away from being a comedy turn to camera. I feel like like this guy (coughs) and Parker knew that this was crazy and silly, and nobody else knew. Uh Yeah, they got it, nobody else did. Yeah. So then Storm Shadow, the real Storm Shadow, turns up uh, uh, Shokasugi, and there is a good ninja fight. It's yes. not brilliant because he's up against um, either Franco Nero or his <laughs> stunt novel. <laughs> and he it's, keeps a mask on, does he not? So yeah. it most likely was his it was. fight double the entire time. Yeah, the and, fight uh, double was the writer and the original director of this. Right, okay. Because uh, it's, it's um, well, I'll talk about a very significant stunt coordinator yeah. in just a second. And the but, original star, too. Okay, uh, but then uh, so so basically they they have a fight. Uh, Julie Christie goes, "I'm just going to go if that's okay." Going to go, um, Marianne, and so they have that fight, and uh, Shokasugi loses and goes, "You know, let me die with honor." And 
They just beheads him, doesn't he? Just mm. flop. Yeah. Chops yeah, that. So at the end, Franco Nero's like, I guess I'll I'll go now. And uh, Julie Christie's like, oh, thank you very much. And she, she's just sort of walking around in these sort of like uh, high-heeled boots and, and like <laughs> seems to have sort of gotten her life together. She's sad about losing Frank, but it almost seems like she's going to be able to do better now without him and be more focused on the work that they were doing. Yeah. So, yeah. She can yeah. really focus on her career now, so yeah. she's happy. Yeah, she's, yeah. You know, she's got this entire plantation to run, and it's very clear she was doing all the work on, on yeah. that side of things anyway. Yeah. So he goes off and he goes to the airport and then like Hook Guy is there hanging around. He's somehow I mean, managed to have become, seen this. Uh, a sky cat. <laughs> Completely forgot. Yeah. And we mentioned there's going to be henchman tryouts. There's this one guy where uh, um, like the, the, the big bad says, okay, right. So I need a new henchman. You, uh, what's your name? And he's like, I'm preacher. Preacher. What's your, what do you preach? I preach like, you know, do what the man wants. Austin 316, something like yeah. that. And he goes, right, kill Hook Guy. And Hook Guy's like, no, Rick, no, you can't kill me. Yeah. He's like, right, get on your knees and start praying. And Hook Guy just goes, whom, right in the mummy daddy button and basically mutilates <laughs> this guy. But in a way that just sort of leaves him like like wandering back to being in London. Well, that's kind of showed me. And now I've pierced my scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Hook Guy turns up at the very end, and then uh, and Cole's like, "Well, I guess I still have work to do," and starts following him. But then turns to the camera and goes, "Wink!" Because yes. Franco Nero will not return in <laughs> Revenge <laughs> of the Nation. It's such this a great. This is one of the most amazing camera spikes, like intentional camera spikes, I think oh, I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, I mean that was the it's point. Unbelievable. Realized this is silly. <laughs> yeah. That was the point. Yep. Okay. So that that was Enter the Ninja, and we've got we went a little over the uh, time there. I don't. I think Golan Globus are going to be on our asses. They're going to be asking me to cut ten minutes out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Revenge of the Ninja. The Ninja, born of a four hundred year old tradition, trained in the most exquisite subtleties of combat. The ninja must be as wise as he is all-powerful. For if ever a ninja gives himself over to the dark side of his art, the destruction is terrifying and absolute. Revenge of the Ninja, starring martial arts master Sho Kosugi and his son Kane Kosugi, six-year-old world karate champion. When he came to America, he put aside his weapons. I will not follow the way of the ninja. But he could not put aside his destiny as a warrior. And now, destiny has come searching for him. Two warriors, one in the service of evil, one bound by honor and vengeance, must fight to the death. Because only a ninja can kill a ninja. Revenge of the Ninja, the great martial arts explosion of the 80s, 
comes to America with full force. This time, Shokasugi plays the hero, like we said. Uh, what was his name in this one? O- Ozu? Cho, yeah. And Cho Osaki. Right, Cho Osaki. This one was directed by the same director as the, the third one, Sam Furstenberg, who did a commentary for two and three on the Blu-rays. And uh, he also di- uh, he gives a really enthusiastic um, uh, performance in, in that. And he actually sounds quite fond of his horrible producers. He's never he never badmouths them and say and says you know they uh, they made things hard for me. He's just he was really happy that people consider his films cult classics. And he is accompanied for that by Steve Lambert who is the unsung hero of the second and third films. He's the stunt coordinator, and he body doubles for a lot of people, including Shokasugi. Um, And he put his life on the line and his health on the line repeatedly, and sometimes not even on the line, because he hates cables, and he despises safety nets, and has nothing but contempt for CG. He mentions this concept throughout these two commentaries five or six times. In he's each like, film. In in each, he's like, well, these days you do this whole thing with CG, but back then we didn't have such a thing as CG. Yeah. I just jumped out of a tree. It was easy. <laughs> and it was like, and in this building site, I just sort of jumped down there. Okay, so I, I may have broken my um, ribs at this point, Everything. and that's what I was limping this point is like we didn't use any kind of safety and there were rusty nails everywhere but you know yeah. that's what we did in those days and it's like no they didn't no one did that apart from canon i mean <laughs> well uh, the one, on the one that, that actually guys so yeah okay so i my, have a i have yeah. a great i have a great respect for the old school cowboy in air quotes stunt coordinators because when when they mentioned things like paying your dues these guys paid their dues this was before they had major safety regulations because at one point um stunt performers and stunt coordinators weren't even part of the union that didn't come until i mean gosh it's you know in when you consider the entire history of film and how long stunt work has been a thing, it's a very recent thing that stunt people have had any kind of union representation, which means protections for their health, protections for their safety, for their pay, all kinds of things. So they really went through the ringer back in the day. They Mm. didn't have wires. They didn't have uh, stunt pads. They didn't have, you know, all of the protections that we kind of take for granted now they didn't have any of that stuff. So yeah, if they had to do a scene in a John Wayne movie, and this is a real thing where they had to drive a Jeep with a live rhinoceros <laughs> running next to them. <laughs> of all the things that I thought you might finish that sentence with, Maya, that was just so far from the top. Do you make them the passenger seats? <laughs> I am not making this up. They're driving right alongside a oh, right, live right. rhinoceros and it gores the side of a jeep which back in the day jeeps did not have doors they were all open on the side right then then you just did it you just did it and the jeep rolled over and if you if that rhinoceros got you in the process then hey that's that was just your day so i understand that these people went through a great deal of pain and and trouble and they didn't have these kinds of protections those days are over. Get <laughs> over God. it. 
I yeah. don't want any stunty to end up hurt for no good reason. That's like, the thing. All That's hurt the for thing good is that we didn't have those protections then. We have them now. And if there is no reason to uh, destroy your body or you know any any part of yourself, like uh, I can't remember who said it, but you know very very famously somebody in the industry said like this this business is not worth losing an eye over. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. really not. It's it's yeah. just not worth losing an eye or a limb or your your brain function, you know? It's not worth multiple concussions. So if you could take the safety precautions, take them. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. It doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't mean you're not tough. It, you know, like there's no reason to cowboy up now for for absolutely no reason. So I respect this guy for all of the pains that I'm sure he went through, mm -hmm. but I hear things like that from old school coordinators and it makes me just, it makes me go, you guys just need to let the young people take over. Just let them take over. Yeah. I, I just, uh, after the 18th time he'd mentioned uh, uh, this concept, I, I kind of wanted to like sit down next to Steve Lambert in a bar, uh, you know, just pick up my drink and go, just before I take the first sip, do you know what's a really awesome film? The Matrix. Because all of those <laughs> cables and all that CG. <sighs> and just mm -hmm. wait for the fucking explosion of, let me tell you something about cables and CG. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, honestly though, the um, the, the kind of stuff that uh, gets done in this film, some of it is actually really like is genuinely impressive. But again, I was just thinking, Golan Globus aren't paying you to go to hospital. Mm -mm. To, you know, they're not paying for your funeral. They're just gonna they're just gonna say, well, he decided to do this. Like it's uh, from from again from that documentary. I'm like, Christ, I'm amazed. More people didn't die under their purview. It's it's blind luck. There's there's one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised that more people didn't die making the the canon films too when they, yeah. with all of the practical stuff that they were doing. Yeah. So um, yeah. Like canon was taking less precautions even than a lot of the rest of the film industry, even then. Yes, yeah, especially because, you know, they're working with, like, a quarter of the budget, a tenth of the, you know, like, just a microcosm of the budget of the major blockbuster films. Yeah. Which is fine when you're doing something like Break Into Electric Boogaloo, or even Death Wish, but when you're doing stuff with, like, big explosions, and, and uh, you know, you, you got a lot of people jumping into and off of places with no cables... People are going to get hurt, and, and it's uh, it's it, it's. It, I like the fact that these films we can at least, without any guilt, say that we we, we enjoyed them and they didn't claim anyone's life. Mm, yeah. Well, this is why you always say you like it if you can if you catch sight of a cable or a crash map that didn't quite get uh, yeah moved out of the way in time because that's basically saying people were going to be okay yeah. during this. Yeah, like we, um, when they mentioned the uh, the the aerobics instructor fell on her back and uh, the uh, and uh, Lambert says she was wearing a little pad back there, but he was saying it in a kind of yeah she was a girl so she fell on her back but she needed a pad, you know, because we couldn't just throw her on her spine onto a concrete floor. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're, they're softer than men, I suppose. Oh. We'll get to spine the third one a in a bit. Spine is a spine. Exactly. I don't care who it's in, it needs a pad. So, yeah. anyway, the film starts with a child getting a shuriken in the face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. We're getting I right into it. I've seen this in anything else. Like, I've, like, they kill a kid in Jaws, and it... 
is the instigating incident that makes Brody so obsessed with taking down this shark for the rest of the movie. It, it happens in a PG. It's horrible. It's off in the distance, but you get that feeling from it. This, basically, a bunch of ninjas who look like the Foot Clan jump in on the compound of Shokasugi's, like, you know, peaceful Japanese, probably filmed in downtown LA, um, yeah. you know, like his, his Zen garden, and they just carve up his family so like his his wife gets shot with an arrow in the chest and his little boy just thunk i'm like if if even at this point like that ninja needs to be like ooh, yeah that <laughs> yeah. one's gonna hold that me that, that, setting. that child who died first shokasugi's yeah. older son yeah uh, shokasugi makes has sense. two kids shane kasugi and kane kasugi According to that trailer, it's Kane Kasugi. We're going to carry on calling him Kane. That's wrong. It's Kane. And one assumes his brother, Shane. The only survivor, apart from Sho in the, in this, is a tiny baby who grows up to be Kane Kasugi, who's also in a film he's in called Pray for Death. Um, so anyway, he goes to America with this baby and basically decides to play it straight. He seals up his sword. There's a really neat moment. It's where he, at the very end, breaks it. And like that's that's like John Wick smashing through the floor with a sledgehammer mm. to break through his stuff, and you know. Mm -hmm. So he's like, and when he breaks the seal, it's like. We're killing strangers. We're killing strangers. We're killing strangers so we don't kill the ones we love. Like he decides to basically like he runs a doll shop. Yeah, basically. Is it a doll shop or a butt shop? Because no, 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 the, the logo is a giant gold butt. It's I noticed like, that too. Oh, it's a gallery. What is it's that? It's a butt gallery. We're going up market from that guy who's offering Jesus yeah. and tits. Okay. <laughs> the opening scene where the ninjas come and, and wipe out his family at the compound yeah. is um, the... the one key part of that is that a person who turns up, I'm not sure whether it's immediately before or immediately after this happens, is his business partner, mm -hmm. who is an American who has been working with him to facilitate him moving to America and setting up an art gallery or antiques um, importing business of some description. Is this Dave Hatcher? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that it's significant is because the this guy has like a neon it's me i did it i'm the bad dude flashing on his head yeah. from like word one it's a horrendous betrayal like this allows him to actually act because he just before he was like this ninja mm -hmm. who didn't really say or do much he just giggled. he's just doth more but giggling mm -hmm. um but now he's just like sort of this stoic sort of you know serious i just want to get this done yeah. and He's got a one of his students, I think. Like he's he's running a martial arts um, school, and uh, Kathy is this uh, blonde lady who sort of turns up while he's talking to his son, and she's wearing the top half of a of a red karate gi, but not the bottom half. And when I say not the bottom half, I mean mm -hmm. like watching this in HD. <laughs> There's some bits where she spins around and you're like, is she wearing tights? I mean, whoa, okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, she's, yeah. wearing, she's wearing a gi top and pantyhose. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. And pretty much. Nothing else. And that yeah, is some nothing else. pantyhose. <laughs> she's going pretty hard after Cho in this scene. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Even Cho was like, maybe you might want to put on some pants. Yeah. She's like, nah. Like, oh, no, not necessary. Going, is this about to turn into the porn parody of Enter the Ninja? Maybe you get lucky. Maybe. 
See, we shall see during this fight. But he's like, you know, I'm, you know, he's, I, I, I can't not. Is it not with a student, or just it wouldn't be right, or is he still loyal to his his widow? I think or, he's just generally. His this widow, is neither the time. Above. Yeah. yeah, we don't. Yeah, fuck I think it's student. a combination of everything. Like, just uh, no. Show is just and, super wholesome. Is what yeah. it boils down to. He is a very yeah. wholesome guy. He wouldn't sleep with one of his students, but also, yeah, yeah every every other reason too. Yeah, his response to my dead family was, "I'm giving up ninjing rather than I'm going to go for revenge and kill everybody." I mean, yeah, come on, no, no revenge, anti-revenge, still an antique shop. Yeah, which again, this is why I bring up the John Wick thing. Basically, like, he he decided, you know, ninjing was the ult was what killed my family. Obviously, John Wick's one above that because it's something that that in no way was caused by John that actually ended his uh, his wife. But the the, the decision to okay, I'm going to do something else else that's not ninja related. That is admirable as as a as a way to sort of like give this to ground this character. Now, Kathy is actually like the gangster's mole of his old friend uh, Dave. So um, she's kind of betraying him. But the way it works in the movie, she realizes quite how much he's going to suffer as the, as a result of this, and she actually does have the hots for him, and and her husband, her he, the villain treats her like absolute shit. Mm. So eventually, she kind of turns tail and, and ends up a, a good guy, but also a damsel in distress who spends most of the rest of the movie captive. There is also she also a- almost gets raped by odd job. Yeah, it's all very. Yeah. But there is also a very brief scene which hooks into nothing else, um, wherein he hypnotises her in order to make her do bad things, just in case you wanted another tick in the box for why we can't really hate Kathy completely. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. fine. Well, and she does genuinely seem to care about his kid. Yeah. Yes. There's you a see scene. a scene of her being nice to him, and, like, this movie's surprisingly well-written yes. for a canon movie. <laughs> And it, it has a gentle touch to it, which, again, you wouldn't expect from anything ninja-related. But, um, like I said, there's, this uh, odd job guy is asked to guard her while she's wearing nothing but, like, she's in underwear for most of this movie. Yeah. Like, a Victoria's yeah. Secret uh, uh, model. And, um, first off, he, he, like, jumps on top of her on the bed and starts pouring at her. And then the silver-masked ninja, who is, in fact, the big bad guy, Dave, turns up and grots him from behind. <laughs> yeah, is this, yeah, it is Dave it Dave, Dave the ninja. Silver-masked ninja. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, first off, Dave the silver-masked ninja, like, turns up in a toilet, and the guy's like, what, a ninja in a toilet? And then he, he just kills this guy in a toilet just by, like, sl- slamming his throat, and then steps out dressed as Dave and straightens his tie, and he's like, yeah. But most of the Silver Mask Ninja stuff was this Steve Lambert, the uh, coordinator. So basically, ev- any time he's actually doing ninja stuff, that's the stunt guy. Yeah. yeah. As, a, as a note, I think that this movie has the most actual ninja stuff in that... You have him being, you know, stealthy and killing people without drawing attention to himself and hiding who he is. That's that's very ninja, unlike like both of the other two films where it's ha ninja. Yeah, which is uh, where where they're less subtle about it. There's yeah. also uh, there's a major organized crime component involved because yeah, Dave's there's Joe Pesci's ugly brother is also yes. a villain in this. We don't even get to see yes. him die. That's what ends up on the cutting room floor. Mm, yeah, um, but the the reason that Dave has has done all of this and set 
uh, show up and brought him to America in the first place to set up this antique shop is he, it's really prosaic. Basically, he's a heroin smuggler and he has various legitimate business fronts that he cultivates and uses to import heroin. So he's the the antique dolls that uh, Cho is bringing in to, mm. to put in the gallery or, or sell in the shop or whatever it is he's doing. They're full of heroin. Are full of heroin. Right. That was almost like that bit in traffic with the uh, the, the yeah. gnomes you boil down. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> there's a bit where uh, someone gets killed in a jacuzzi, and it's it, like there's another jacuzzi kill in the third film as well. So many hot tubs in these movies. It's like yeah. there, you yeah, must have this a- one makes the least sense though. Th- this guy gets like a a, a ninja <laughs> in the back like a, a blow dart thing. And the woman realizes he's dead and screams, but the, the silver mask ninja could at this point sneak away while she freaks out because he's not been seen or witnessed, but instead he steps forward. And while this woman's sort of like getting pushed underwater by the weight of the body of the guy, she was basically having sex with like, he's still like, they're still I- engaged in coitus at this point. And then the silver mask ninja just sort of prods her down under the surface with the butt of his sword. And she's like, this seems unnecessary. Yeah. And then like, they actually play it for comedy when the police turn up and the current, like they, they put the bodies in the ambulance. They're still locked together. And like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's really hell of a way to go. And it's going to take, what is it? It's going to take hours to unstick them or yeah. something. Yeah, something they say something like, like that. that. It's it's really gross. Coitus rictus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a, a van chase in this as well, which definitely comes under the purview of Canon asking no permission for anything and just driving dangerous vans around in the street while Steve Lambert hangs off the back of them pretending to be Shokazugi. Yes. And well, that was actually Shokazugi. Oh, yes. Yeah, th- 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 yes, that, some... that was showing a lot of the shots. But yeah, it, I mean, like, yeah. as dangerous as this probably was, it is kind of awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was an amazing. I love that sequence. It was amazing. But that like that movie has some of the most visceral stunt work I've ever seen, because yeah. like the way show assuming it was showing all the shots when you see him later and like his pants are like his pants are ripped up and he's bloody. Yeah, his knuckles are bleeding and he's hanging yeah, on. They do not hold back on the consequences of any of the things that go on in mm. this. And that, I do think, is impressive. They, like, you see somebody getting their face mashed, in the next scene, their face will be mashed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The There's fight choreography of, yeah, they is take, the best. They take the... attention to the, uh, the continuity in a lot of these scenes. Mm. Yeah. Fight choreography in this one is definitely the best of the trilogy, um, and the stunts are by far just they they really yeah. did a good job with this. Like, I, I feel like you lied to me a little bit, Alex. You said all these movies were ridiculous, but this one's actually a legit, just good movie. I they are trying to yeah, they film. are trying to do more of like an actual honest to goodness movie here, where like there's an, a yeah. plot and consequences and things like that. They also just going back to the choreography. The other thing that they kind of figured out from the first film to this one is how to actually shoot fights. Like they figured out the correct camera angles to use to make a punch look like it's connecting to someone's face, to make a kick look like it's actually connecting to somebody and there's not a foot of air between them. So that was a a major step up from from Enter the Ninja. From the commentary, it sounds like director uh, Sam Furstenberg pretty much deferred to Steve Lambert in terms of how do we get this done in a way that looks dynamic. So um, that that would be a, like it's a completely different team for the first one. They're almost entirely unrelated. Yeah. Well, one yeah. thing. Oh. 
Sorry, you it's- go. First of also did uh, American Ninja and uh, a bunch of other films, actually. I'll go check them. Hold on. But one of the things I really liked about the, the commentary with both of them was that there's a little conversation that they have, and I, I believe it's actually in the commentary for the third one, but they're talking about the, the way that you shoot an action scene, and it's very much a, a two-hander in terms of, Uh, Lambert was concentrating on what the performers were doing, whether that was him or whether that was somebody else that he was kind of telling them where to stand and and what to do and all the rest of it. Um, And then Furstenberg's obviously in charge of where the cameras are going to be, but it was very much a sense of we need this to be set up so that the performer can just do what they need to do Mm. and not be worrying about, am I in the right place? Am I in the right position? Just you do what you need to do and you let the camera guy and the director worry about whether or not they've got the right angle yeah. and, and that kind and of the stuff. camera's far back enough that you can actually see their bodies moving and it's not yeah. like clo- so close that, that the technique where they try and make it look like Liam Neeson can kick a lot more ass than he actually can. Absolutely. Between yeah. all the things that you just outlined, Kaoru, and the fact that Kane Kasugi is an absolute secret weapon of this movie. Yeah. Yes. He, yeah. Herb. Mm-hmm. This this one of the three just slightly is my favourite because of of him. Yeah, the, one, it's one of the few times that I've seen kid martial artists mm-hmm. not look like they're kid martial artists. Like I, I've, I've watched the three ninjas movies, or at least three out of four of them, and um, those kids look like they're sort of wimply, like flailing about, and the stunt actors are being pulled away from them on wires this looks like the kid knows what he's doing yeah mm-hmm. because he does yeah he did the- know what he was do- yeah it's it's pretty clear like this kid has some actual talent and he's he's able to throw a, a lot of this stuff on his own yeah. it's the fundamental difference between a film made to capitalize on the success of the teenage mutant ninja turtles made for kids with that sensibility of who cares it's for kids and they'll just let them dab at each other and a film made for diehard ninja fans that happens to have a kid in it, what can do Ninja? And he's got to be like, what, five in this? Maybe six? Five? He is little. He's, he's a little kid. Yeah. yeah. But he's, he's very young. The character is six. Right, okay. okay. So, and and he'd, been, um, he'd been practicing martial arts of some kind almost since birth, from the sounds of things. Okay, right. He was born in 74, so that means, oh, bloody hell, actually, yeah, he'd have been about six or seven. Mm. Okay. I, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes there's, sense. There's a fight between him and Kathy. Kathy's job is to apprehend this kid, and she just sort of walks into the dojo going, well, I'll just get the kid and I'll, I'll take him away. This kid ain't it ain't coming easy. Oh, my they God. Go at this each was other. so funny. It's just, I've never seen that before. An adult fighting a kid, the kid holding their own, and it's not like kid power the way that Home Alone, you know, has been ever since, like, that whole kind of, like, like it's not supposed to make kids in the audience go, yeah, there are supposed to be no kids in the audience. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're, like, just, they're actually like really clocking each other and he keeps getting thrown back against the door and then they go at each other with like, she gets a metal staff and tries to poke him and he's, he grabs a, a wooden bow and realizes that she's got bare feet and is like, ha you got a weakness there, I'm wearing sneakers. And then starts trying to whack her on the feet and like he keeps doing flips, but it's got this kind of the clumsiness of the fact that he's, you know, doing it frantically and he's quite young, but it feels much more real. Like, okay, a kid who can actually handle himself would look like this. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Tra- is, this the, is this the part where Granny gets involved also? Yes. Granny like comes she kinda, slightly before she, yeah. this. There's Grandma a ninja comes Granny! In. 
gremlin comes so in to help the fight. This yes. was so awesome. It really was. I I love this bit as well. The yeah. silver masked ninja goes after this old little old lady, like, oh, well, watch out, uh, you know, little old lady. Oh, you, you, she, this woman's dead. And like he like goes to try and kill her, and she sort of gets up and goes, aha, like throws a knife at him. He throws the grabs it and throws it back at her. Then she throws up, fires a blowpipe at him. Then she throws down a smoke bomb and disappears into the wall. He eventually does end up stabbing her through the wall. But it's like this old lady was not to be messed with. Yeah, it's she just was that he's the own. silver masked ninja. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, um, it's its not Cho's mother, is it? It's his wife's mother. Right. And yeah. she's yeah. the other survivor of the compound uh, massacre. Right. And she has come to America with them as well. Okay. That's so sad that she gets killed, though. Like, mm. the, the, like it, there's a certain amount of, like, you know, destruction of innocence in this to justify the whole, like, it could be my dead family, but that never seems to be what... Shokasugi's character's doing. He's well, never no, like, the, I'm so angry. She's also involved in a in a good um section of the the kind of the drama element of this, in that she has like there's a pendant that she wears that has the symbol of their their family, their clan mm. on it. And there's this really nice moment where she gives it to him and is sort of it, it she it's almost like she's saying, you know, don't forget the reason that's behind all of this. Don't yeah. lose your memories of the the people that you loved mm. don't harden yourself up and and you know let go of all of that just because you're sad yeah the, yeah. the pendant is kind of representative of uh joe's connection to his family his connection to his past mm. Absolutely. i also like the implication that he sort of married into ninjahood uh, yeah. like his, his wife was from the ninja clan and he sort of married into it but love me love my ninjas yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I particularly like about this film is that Sam Furstenberg wanted to take it in a different direction than the original. The original was, um, you know, Monaghan Golan kind of had this idea of let's try to take those, you know, Hong Kong type action films and bring them and make and make an American version of it. But Furstenberg was at this point, we're in 1983 and... Quite frankly, Raiders of the Lost Ark exists now, so he wanted to make an American action film that just happened to have ninjas in it. And I think the tone works a lot better in this one than Enter the Ninja did. I think a big part of that as well is that everybody in this, almost everybody in this, is in the same film. If you look at Enter the Ninja, Frank is in one film. Yeah. Cole <laughs> may be in the same film as Frank. Venarius and Parker are very definitely in a different film. Marianne's in a different film Marianne's as well. Marianne's in another film. She could have been in her own film. Like yeah. We could yeah. have followed her all the way through and we, there's these we've ninjas. We've got like three or four different films going mm. on in Enter the Ninja. Here, Much more for focused. the most part, everybody is at least pulling in the same direction. By and large. There, it was also one of the first films that basically made everyone go, let's put ninjas in stuff. And apparently people were taking like old films that had no ninjas in them, filming <laughs> ninja scenes and re-releasing them. <sighs> yeah, um, what's his name? Uh, Godfrey Ho. Mm. He was he was famous for that one. Uh, one thing, um, another thing yeah. I like about this one is um, Caifano also feels like he should be part of this film. Like the mob stuff doesn't feel tacked on. He feels mm. like a character. Oh, do you mean and, Joe Pesci looking guy? Yes. Discount Joe Pesci. Yeah, yes. low rent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, low rent. Yeah, Caifano is that. And the thing is that I, I know people like that. I, I have family like that. Um, you know, when, when um, Hatcher is asking, well, what do I tell What do I tell them, uh, the buyers? I don't know. How about Vafangul? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm like, yeah, I know somebody, I know lots of people who would respond with that. Yes. So, and, but he feel, again, it does not feel like the mob stuff is tacked on. He feels integral to everything else going on. And he feels like an actual Italian immigrant and not an Italian stereotype. Mm. Yeah. He borders on that stereotype. A but, little, yeah. Yeah. But more like an actual mob guy, a, an Italian guy might do in real life rather than rather he might play to the stereotype a bit rather than rather than the way they do in a lot of movies yeah after the uh, first hench odd job looking guy gets garroted by his own master that he kathy gets led back out and the backup henchman is there he's just this sweaty roady dude wearing sweatpants and it's like wow what a step down the other guy actually looked imposing he looked like someone who could fight james bond this guy no like no like this guy's not causing anyone problems but her yeah. she, she's captive in a, a sauna she gets put in the hot tub they again splay her out chain her hands left and right and then her feet and this guy's like sort of like poking at her fiddling around with nunchucks while the little kid has been locked in the sauna it's like if you lock someone in the sauna they're just gonna die eventually like that's well that's i think that's the intention yeah, but was, like was yeah. that the point to like sweat them out and like uh, like overheat them to death i i thought so i don't know it just it feels like just a, a very enclosed place to have a fight because the kid gets out smashes the wind like he gets his handcuffs off and like sticks them in the fire like the, the, he's just been bound with leather um ties yeah, rope. rope yeah mm-hmm. so he like burns that off and then he like runs rings around this guy and then at one point goes look there's superman and then the guy actually turns <laughs> and looks and then he like kicks the shit out of him with nunchucks which kane kasugi can use hey dude yeah. your shoes untied yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then like, she rescues uh, Kathy and then the, she runs outside and, and picks up the phone. And there's this really sweet moment when she sort of like, like she sort of rubs his head while she's uh, on the phone. Like she seems quite maternal at that point. But even the director, when they were doing the commentary said, dude, in HD, I can now see this kid has got his eyes locked on her very pert nipples. And she's wearing very sexy underwear. And it's like, didn't see that until just now, but yeah. <laughs> He had an awakening while standing there in that corridor. It's okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's uh, Shokasugi's looking for information as to where his kid and potential new girlfriend have been taken. He he basically seems to track down the village people and fights them in a playground. There's this guy who looks like Sasha Baron Cohen dressed as a, a rhinestone cowboy. That's actually the director. Oh my god. I had the exact the same thought. Like I actually I actually wrote down who are these village people looking <laughs> motherfuckers? Like who are these village people rejects? That's um it's Steve Lambert, isn't it? Rhinestone yeah, Steve Lambert, yeah. Oh, Steve Lambert was that, right? Okay. Yeah, oh, sorry, I thought that was Sam Furstenberg. Okay. Well, either way, yeah, it's uh, it's a ridiculous fight scene, and it sort of uh, goes on. But uh, again, uh, Shokasugi uh, eventually just you know finds out where to go. Now there this is... is the bit with the belt because I was stood there going, that belt looks an awful lot like a ninja star. It's got and a ninja guess star. What? On it. He takes it a ninja does, star. Yes. It's like a spare just in case you ever need one. Absolutely. What follows then? is an infiltration to this double high-rise. There's there's two towers close together, and um, our hero has to sort of get in there, dressed as a ninja now, and get to the top so that he can fight the big boss. I turned off the music, went back a bit, started it again, and played Why So Serious, the opening track from The Dark Knight. 
and it ties in remarkably. You know the bit at the beginning of the, the Dark Knight when they're like the the you're seeing this sort of sweeping panoramic IMAX shot of Chicago, and then the window shatters, and then, then the cable goes across. I would actually bet you folding money that Christopher Nolan saw all three of these movies because there's this whole sequence that actually ties in weirdly well with with the bank job <laughs> beginning of, uh, of The Dark Knight. There's the uh, sequence I mentioned before from the there's going to be tryouts from that first one. And then in Ninja 3 The Domination, you know that bit in The Dark Knight when uh, all the cops are mourning the death of, of the commissioner? Oh, and yeah. yeah. With their rifles pointing up and then it goes da-dum, da-dum, and it turns out Joker was one of the cops in disguise and that's when it springs. That that shit happens too! That happens too, yeah. Colin, you watched Wally Fister erotic films and went, I want that DP. I want that DP, Mirror Images 2, that guy. And you watched <laughs> into films and went, oh, this, this is how to direct an action scene. Yeah, I can do this better, with a better budget. Yeah, if you if he learned from like, like watching it, how you can do it on the most elemental, low budget shoestring level, but at the same time remarkably impressive for what it is, then so much the better because he bought us some pretty great films. Indeed, and he spent spent his extra budget money on cables and crash mats. Yeah, <laughs> well, people getting hurt. So, um, what then happens is uh, uh, he, he he makes his way up and like chops up a whole bunch of like uh, henchmen, but you know, like again throws caltrops in someone's face so they're like, like no, doesn't throw them spits them like he pulls off his mask and just goes and the guy's like ah and then he throws down marbles and caltrops and a guy runs along in what looks like the corridor in inception <laughs> like a tilting, it really does they used a tilting set in ninja 3 the domination and christopher nolan used a rotating set to film those corridor scenes Ninja 3 The Inception. <laughs> and oh then this which, which level of ninja movie are we on again? I can't remember. <laughs> no one's ever gone that deep. Time goes much slower at this point. And this guy fall, trips over the marbles and falls face first onto the caltrops. And it's like, Jesus, yeah. this is supposed to go in the feet, not the face. Yeah, oh, that one at least made a little bit more sense because they started on the ground. And this guy just tripped over something and fell onto them. But again, I feel like the the original caltrops were designed for much smaller, thinner sandals, and and you know for for hurting people with, without wearing thick, you know, rubber boots. So they had to either make the caltrops much bigger, which made them heavier to carry around in, or just go for the face with them. <laughs> to the the roof and duels with uh, the, uh, the the silver masked ninja, his his buddy Dave, um, played uh, in almost every shot by Steve Lambert, the uh, stunt coordinator. And this is a really great fight. Anyone want to talk about it? It's also got some absurd bits where you're like, how the hell did he plan for that? Yeah, the, the fight yeah. is kind of cool. In my opinion, I think it goes on for a little bit too long, but... But it's it's still entertaining. It's still very entertaining. I just think they could have shaved a little bit off of the end. They they, they make the most out of the setting um, because they've got this like rooftop tennis court um, with a cage around it, and yeah, they've got, got of, another like, hot levels. tub. Yeah, got another hot tub. They got you know levels. You get, like you were saying, you know, so there's this sort of platforming element to it. But I, did what you I uh, tennis court? Because I thought it was a volleyball court. <laughs> I queued up the music. Um, 
for playing with the boys from Top Gun, and it queues up remarkably well with this oh, fight. Sure. Alex is right. I think it is a volleyball court because the because the net is up higher. It's not yeah. the net is. I was not down. looking at. I wasn't looking at the net. I was looking at the ninjas. <laughs> I, miss, I missed the net elevation. Wherever it is. Um, that's bit, like he he cuts the ninja, the silver mask ninja in two, and then goes wait a second, and it turns out it was a wooden dummy. And again, how? What they? Th- how have you just set up a? <laughs> hey, what's that over there? Is that the script? Oh, let's see. If I turn page 95. Oh, I need to prepare. Oh, I need to prepare for this. Let me get my dummies out and uh, and just set them up all over these buildings. The amount of effort that goes into this one illusion. It's like, this cannot have been worth lugging a wooden dummy of yourself up to the top of this tower. But this is the bit that makes me think they've set that up with Enter the Ninja because it's like, okay, if you're going to be a ninja, you need caltrops, you need your sigh, you need your sword. For the face. Yep. And you also need... (laughs) A head, a wooden arm, and a life-size mannequin of yourself. He jumps yeah, off the, the mechanical arm in the uh, hot yeah. tower. Like, why do you even have that? Why does it exist? Okay, so sh- he appears to have dived into the hot tub, and Shokasugi's like, sort of, it's broad daylight. He's like looking down at it, and he's like, what? What's in it? And he's like getting his sword ready, and then an arm leaps up from the water, like fucking Jason, and grabs him by the ankle. He's like, ah! And then he chops, and then, like, the severed robotic arm with a wooden hand comes up. It's got wires and things. What was it even attached to? <laughs> Never explained. That's it but the thing is, the ninja actually is in the jacuzzi. So like he's down <laughs> to hold his breath going, this is going to be so cool. And then he's like, it's just bonkers. It, it makes absolutely no sense. Not to mention that when you, you mentioned when he chaps chops the wooden dummy in half. Directly before that, Cho's looking around, and you can see the camera is facing Cho. And behind him, Silverface Ninja pops around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just call him the Silver Spirit from now on? Because that's kind of who you reminded me of. He's got a little bit of a blue spirit thing going. When he he pops around the corner like that, it reminds me of like a children's film or a children's like interactive thing where the bad guy is behind the good guy who's oblivious oh. and the kids are supposed to be like, behind you! No, no he's behind you! Yeah, it's... <laughs> like when, when Hitler's sneaking up on Captain America. <laughs> There's a bit where, um, apparent, like, Shokasugi goes over the side of the building and, like, you see this dummy. I love any shot where it a dummy is thrown from a great height. 100% a dummy. It, it is so... so- Funny. Attached to a cable. And Steve Lambert in the commentary said, I ended up doing that. Like the bit where he's craw- crawling up the side of the building, that was Steve Lambert. Like a hundred feet, 200 feet into the air, literally crawling up the side of a building. No cables, no net. Why are you doing this? 
just it's the guy had a death and he's like yeah. and then I jumped off the side they had to throw a dummy I wanted to jump off the side but they wouldn't let me and I'm like yes because you'd just be jumping to your death exactly yeah. they, they're okay so if they had no budget for like cables or anything like that they definitely didn't have budget for a giant airbag to oh. catch him from like a hundred foot oh, fall yeah no yeah. way yeah, ultimately what ends up happening is he he outwits... Like, the ninja, the silver mask, just runs out of magic tricks. He's like, what about my flamethrower? He's kind of like a ninja Boba Fett, yeah. actually. Yeah. Like, my flamethrower, yeah, really and then the smoke bombs, and then, my, you know, hidden daggers. And, like, there's a bit where he stabs him with a sword, and, the, like, also he tries to stab him with a sword, and then, like, when the sword gets trapped pulls a dagger out of the handle of it, tries to stab him with a dagger. When that gets trapped, pulls a smaller dagger out of the inside. Yeah. Like <laughs> of but this... And I was like, that can't even be... You can't even get a grip on that thing, because every time you hold it, you're pulling out another knife. Use... It's a Swiss Army ninja sword. Stones out horse tubes. They use snippets of this fight for the trailer, but yeah. the voiceover for the trailer at the point where they're using the snippets they've taken from this fight is talking about the ancient art of, of being a ninja and the, the range of traditional ninja weaponry. The things they're showing you over this line are the robot arm and the flamethrower. <laughs> oh, God. Well-known ninja flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Let's throw a jetpack in there for good measure. Ninja Turtle series. Robot arms are definitely traditional ninja weapons. Oh, yes. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, we, that we don't that know is a good point. You think that's a ninja throwing star? Oh, no, my friend. That is a pizza. Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's pretty much the end of the movie. What happens is uh, that the silver ninja gets his stomach slashed open and fucking gallons of blood just geyser out of him all over this room. This is what they were he, saving the budget for. Oh, I can almost yeah, guarantee he, that stain is still is, there because Golan Globus wouldn't pay to have it cleaned up. No kidding. This guy is a squirter. <laughs> oh, he's it a just squirter. keeps going. <laughs> he's a real gusher. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Also, I've managed to throw in only a ninja can defeat another ninja. That's yeah, that yes. line is definitely in there. It's in all three movies. It's in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and then he sort of like, uh, he, go, he goes back downstairs and sees, you know, prospective new girlfriend who goes, you are getting some tonight this time, mister. And he's like, well, maybe. And it's almost like he's surrendering to her at this point. Yeah. And they go home happy. And so, yeah, yeah, it does feel more like a legit film. And this actually, when I was looking up Shokasugi's uh, back catalogue, he was the hired assassin in Blind Fury, the Rutger Hur blind ninja film, which is so good. We could probably do a show on it just for it's that. It's pretty great, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a great time. The classic. <laughs> oh, and do you know what uh, Kane Kasugi did about seven years ago? Uh, oh, his, you mean his son? Yes. No, I don't. What did he do? Ninja Two: Shadow of a Tear. Oh, that's it. Yeah, who was he? Mm. He was the other. He was the main ninja guy. He was. He was uh, Nakabara. Right. Yeah, Scott Atkins' best mate. Did he get yeah. killed? I, I so. probably in that kind yeah. of movie. We'll Almost see. certainly, yeah. Either way, folks, see Shadow of a Tear. It's great. And Kane yeah. Kasugi uh, rocked from the age of five, clearly. Yeah, he, got, he grew up to look like an Asian Haley Joel Osment in a good way. Okay. So now He is cute, I have yeah. to say. 
So now let us move on to Ninja 3, The Domination from 1984, entirely unrelated to Ninjas 1 or 2, which weren't related to each other in the first place. Meaning it's a third of nothing! He is the most feared and powerful warrior. A ninja who breaks from ancient tradition and explodes onto America. His soul possesses the body of an innocent woman and transforms her into a lethal assassin. Who are you? I want to help her. Only a ninja can destroy a ninja. Her only hope is Yamada, the master ninja who has been sent to destroy him. Where Revenge of the Ninja left off, Ninja 3 begins. An epic struggle of superhuman strength and supernatural forces. Ninja 3, The Domination. There is one word in this title that is can legitimately be applied to this film, and it is the. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of does in this movie. Yeah. This film is predicated on the YouTube dude-friendly premise that a woman couldn't beat male ninjas, so she had to be... or couldn't even beat men. So she had to be possessed by a powerful male ninja. Thus, an aerobics instructor becomes a killing machine, somehow managing to twist and maneuver her frail feminine body into the regular shapes required to kick someone's ass. Maya, can women beat men? Uh, I can confirm, yes. <laughs> there you had it, Bob. Maya, I could say that she could beat me very easily. <laughs> in a heartbeat if we got into a fight. I'm not kidding. I found that out while listening to the uh, commentary, and that's the only blank mark against this film because, like, I, just the, everything else about it is great. But just the idea that it, that she like it couldn't be a movie about a female ninja. Mm -hmm. This same year, yes, madam, a buddy cop martial arts movie starring Asian goddess Michelle Yeoh and the terminally underused American fighter Cynthia Rothrock at their physical peak. Mm -hmm. They're amazing in it. The final sequence is legendarily mimetic and uses far too much glass. It looks terrifying. Yes. Even though nobody can get hold of the film. And, you know, people have seen that sequence. And, you know, Rough Rock and Yo are fantastic. And yet, the film, Yes, Madam, barely gives them time together and preoccupies itself with a bunch of bumbling dudes called Panadol, Aspirin, and Paracetamol. He's not even kidding. I'm not that kidding. That's what they're called. They're, <laughs> like, that's into the skies. God. Like, they're trying to, like, like uh, they're, they're, like, secret undercover policemen or something. It's, uh, but, like, this should be. They're weird nerds. Michelle Yeoh is told there's an American coming to investigate this case. And she's like, oh, 
and I've got to babysit her, right? And then she picks her up from the airport, and she's like, no, 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 no. You put your own shit in the back. I am not a scout camp. And then they spend the rest of the movie basically doing tango and cash and getting to know each other, and eventually kind of like during a, uh, like when they get fired from the case, they sort of sit there drowning their sorrows and actually share a little bit of a heart-to-heart, and then they go take down the bad guy because they realize they've gotten a lead from it. That's what's supposed to happen. Instead, they're only in about half the movie. It's insane. Like, in 1984, it was official that women couldn't actually do much. Yeah. <sighs> and this... Part of the fact that we had already had um, Ellen Ripley yeah, like in, five you know, years earlier. Yep. Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor, both. Mm-hmm. So yeah. In the this very goddamn year. And, again, like... So little fucking changed in between now and then that when Captain Marvel came out, dudes were going, look, we've got Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor and I guess Xena. We don't need any more female heroes. Thank you very much. And it's like, yeah, you got your quota filled. Yeah, dude, you've just made our point very well. Thank you for pointing out that there's only been fucking three of them. Uh, anyway. I have a counterpoint to yours, Alex. OK, are you saying that women can't fight? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to the point of this, you know, this there being only one black mark against this movie. Do you mean the the police guy? Yes. Yeah. And, mm. and the yeah the Billy. specific scene in his car when she has very consistently resisted his advances up to the point in the car, and I was cheering her on, and he gets pissed off and is like, "Get out." Yeah. And then all of a sudden, she she turns on a dime. Yeah, she turns on a dime, and suddenly she has him to her house, mm-hmm. to her apartment. Yeah, I was screaming. Yeah, it's almost as if he negged her enough to finally get her to cave or something. Yeah, yeah. the fact that she ends up with him as well—that's yeah. that's a huge. Yeah. Black See, that was the bit that got me because at that point, and I agree, Debbie. I was sat there going, "What the." This is the point where you get out of the car and say, thank you, and goodbye, have a nice life. But I was clinging to the thought that because at this point she is possessed by the ninja and the the reason... We need to set this story up. We do need to set this up. But but yeah, at this stage I was thinking she's got a plan, there's a reason she's doing this, there's something going on here. No, no, there isn't. Apparently she just liked him. No! Maybe she knew secretly that he was deeply allergic to tomato juice, but that that allergy wouldn't wouldn't yeah. kill him for several weeks. It would suddenly hit him. Okay, so okay, let's do the setup. The then film. We'll come back to this. We start off with a ninja in his ninja cave, just sort of looking at his ninja weapons. He's got a mustache, and it feels odd that a ninja has a mustache. It's like you would imagine every ninja not to have a mustache, but that's just a Western assumption. Uh, mustaches were very popular Frank at various eras. Yeah. Of course, uh, but, but that he looked wrong anyway yes, as a ninja. Um, and, but there were various, you know, there was very popular having mustaches. Some samurai masks have mustaches on them. But anyway, he's preparing his stuff. This is an evil ninja. It's not Shokasugi at all. And then there's a, a but like, there's a guy with like a slung sweater over his shoulders play, playing golf, just playing a few holes with his girlfriend. And they just, you know, he's got bodyguards and it's broad fucking daylight. And one of the bodyguards goes to pick up a ball and then the ninja picks it up first. And he's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And this ninja wearing kind of olive drab fucks up again in broad daylight on what looks like a fucking Florida golf course. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a, it's a Southern California golf course. Okay, Southern California. Yeah. 
Um, in beautiful, like, blue sky, green golf course. Yeah, just just slashes the shit out of everyone. Like, he's cutting up bodyguards who are all going, oh, if only we had guns. Gun, <laughs> <laughs> And he throws, like, a rod, just like Miho in Sin City. So, again, I feel like Quentin Tarantino most, and Frank Miller watched this movie, if nothing oh, else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino, I could definitely see going through the old canon films. He is, yeah. This is definitely in his wheelhouse. Actually, that's a very specific bit that's totally Tarantino, com- well, totally Tarantino doing something else just coming up. But um, So this ninja kills a bunch of bodyguards, throws that rod into the gun, which backfires. Then he, like, he runs after, like, the guy and his girlfriend are trying to get away in a golf cart, and he runs after them in the silliest run I've ever seen. Ninja runs are supposed to be, as far as I can tell from watching the Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles, you put your head down, your arms back in a V-shape, and you run as fast as you can, going... The Naruto run. It's the same as Mark of the... The Naruto run, yeah. Yeah, the Naruto run, yeah, same as in Mark of the Ninja. That's how ninjas are supposed to run. This guy's just like... How, how does he run? He, he runs like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. <laughs> Grabs the golf cart, lifts it up, slashes the guy, and then for good measure, because we're doing this, slashes the girlfriend for no goddamn reason as well. So this ninja's just committed an atrocity. It's a it's a hit. And like we're actually supposed to feel a bit sorry for these people. We're not like really supposed to be going, yeah, go ninja. Then he accrues a three-star rating on Grand Theft Auto, and a bunch of cops show up and surround him. Immediately goes, show up, and yeah, it's like they break out the tanks, they break out the copter, they everything. They're like, we've we've got a four-one-one. What's that? That's a ninja on the golf course. Okay. <laughs> And then they surround this ninja who bury, like just throws down a smoke bomb. And they're like, what? Where did he go? And then they wander off. And then he digs himself out from the dusty ground and goes, oh, 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 foolish cops. And then he runs off and a bunch of cops find him again. And then they surround him. And it's like fucking Alex Murphy. They're just like, <laughs> they just shoot the shit out of this ninja. But he still somehow gets away. And then we cut to Christy. Christy? Christy. Who is a phone repair woman and aerobics instructor. Yes. And she's like climbing up a phone pole in the same way as this ninja climbed up a tree slightly earlier. Yes. And he also made a helicopter explode. Absolutely. Oh my God. Wait, hold on. We, we We cannot skip over some of the the work that was done in those scenes because first of all that helicopter crash it is so funny because it's so obvious that like the helicopter is kind of like it's driving a little bit crazy it's flying a little bit askew is it going to crash into the side of the mountain oh hell no we didn't have the budget for that cut to like Uh, a uh, low angle of like the other side of the mountain and you just see it kind of fly over and then the explosion happens off screen they like explosions. They just don't like damaging expensive property. And There's no like way they could have afforded actually stuff. crashing that helicopter. Also, in that, like right before that, there's a scene where I guess the, they, they're having a bit of a chase, right? They're having a little bit of a, a cop chase. There's a couple of guys on bikes. There's one guy in a cruiser. Um, the, the evil ninja dressed in his green camo ties something around a tree, kind of swings around it smashes through the window of the cop cruiser and then this thing goes off the one of the biggest pipe ramps i've ever seen into a lake lake, yeah was crazy now are we to believe (laughs) are we to believe that this ninja (laughs) this man one man 
kicked the cop cruiser into the lake. Yes. 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 Oh my God. He's the Ninja yes. Terminator. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the, the, um, Christie's repairs a phone and then she gets down off there and then sees this dying ninja who goes, oh, and he sort of shouts at her in Japanese and she's like, huh? And then she just sort of goes home. And what he's done is he's thrown his soul into her body. But he's not possessed her. He's just kind of in the background. Like he's in the back seat of her car and trying to keep himself under wraps and not really like doing it. to McCoy, really. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, good good, good comparison. Yeah. yeah he, just, he doesn't do the mind meld yeah. thing, and, but he does something which is clearly the ninja equivalent. And this guy's totally evil as well. So... Christy then like goes to the police station or something and uh, answers various questions about this ninja and then goes back out. Oh no, hang on. Goes to the, she goes, she does aerobics, doesn't she? She goes, yeah. she talks to a friend. She's taken the sword. Yeah. The ninja sword. That's it. The ninja sword and comes with her. she has this conversation with her friend it. about, she's, she's not entirely sure why she picked it up and brought it home. So she lies to her friend and says she just picked it up somewhere. It's Ginger from the Terminator, her, her, her roommate. Yeah. It's not. Ginger Terminator. <laughs> He only I'm goes amazed after that redheads. Ginger didn't yeah. get killed by yeah, a ninja. I was just about to say, this is a best friend who survives, which is quite Somehow. Yeah. yeah, it's not bad. So, yeah, they're doing uh, aerobics, and there's this song called Body Shop, which we hate movies covered this film, and it's a fucking hilarious show. I thoroughly recommend you listen to that as well. Oh, my but God. But they made a big deal out of Body Shop. They love that. Andrew Dupin wanted it The lyrics it in, in this song are absolutely bonkers. Let's okay. finish on oh. Body Shop, shall we? Well, that'll be well, the one we close we out. We really should. <laughs> Another thing that I love about this scene, first of all, sorry, <laughs> first of all, they're doing aerobics on a carpeted floor. Yeah. Budget didn't cover Which, an aerobics studio. <laughs> a carpeted floor with all of like the sweat and the, the just no, like what? Oh my god, that's so and disgusting! Like I. I was so grossed out by the fact that they were working out on a carpet. It, I could not get over it. It was insane. And then there's just a bunch of heavies like in the background using like the weight machines. You know, mm. they're just kind of they're pumping iron and just ogling the fuck out of these girls trying to get their workout in. It's so disgusting. Yeah, there's a there's a generous pinch of sleaze in this one. Size of oh, yeah. by the way. This is the point where Billy the cop. Dickhead Supreme <sighs> first initiative. I hate this guy so much. Right? I have never wanted so, someone to be assassinated so much in a movie. So while yes. she's while she's at the police station reporting the fact that she's been, you know, attacked by a ninja, Billy is the guy who's taking her statement, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he decides, after having done all of this and telling her that she can now go home, to ask her out. Yep. And he, when she officer, starts hitting on her. The officer a soft drink and she goes, I don't do, do soft, soft drinks. Soft drinks. <laughs> 
I don't soft use drinks. soft drinks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's like, well, then maybe a coffee. Or basically, he just will not take no for an answer. And when she walks away from the police station, it seems pretty apparent that what he does next is take her phone number, address, and oh. uh, details off the file and mm-hmm. start stalking. And the fact that he succeeds yeah. and is with her at the end of the movie tells yeah. the boys watching, this Keep is how it. you it do works. it. Well, yeah, you've this got is how it's done. You have her ninja possession first, so... That could be a bit. We different. watched the other day the antithesis of this. Mm-hmm. Say anything. Be Lloyd Dobler, not Billy this not cop. Billy the cop. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he he turns up at her aerobics class. He is participating in the aerobics class. But in shock. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of like a reverse of that. <laughs> music video yeah yeah anyway so maya or debbie could you describe what happens when they go outside and meet those encounter those dudes and how billy reacts (laughs) oh my god okay so you're talking about when they start mugging the girl outside of the gym correct okay so let's let's be clear that that was not just mugging they they were going to rape her they yeah. were trying to okay well, again again because then. again because yeah because that. nothing can happen at night we can't shoot anything at night it is in broad daylight the entire gym empties, the entire gym empties out into like the parking lot or like the back alley of this uh, fitness center right they come around the corner and they're like oh my god this lady that was working out is being mugged and then oh my god they're gonna rape her nobody does anything Billy the cop just stays Standing apparently off to the side, just watching. Well, it's not my job. Not doing anything at all. Right now. So now it's up to. So now it's up to Christy, the aerobics instructor slash uh, uh, moonlighting as like a telephone repair person. Uh, (laughs) It's up to her now to beat the shit out of like five guys that are huge. With a plum, I might add. Yeah. she like uh, she shows, hey, leave her alone, and then they're like, oh, well, so what do you want? You want to be raped too? And 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 basically they all start crowding around her, and she's like, back the fuck up off me, and then does some you know flip kicks and like spins them around, like grabs a banister, smacks them about the place. And how does this fight end? The well, she took the the that metal pole and she knocked the two guys to the ground. But how, like, who says, okay, that's enough. I've seen enough. I know who the guilty party is here. I'm taking you in. Oh, oh. Yeah. Billy tries to arrest her. And then I think this yeah. is the scene where like, he, he uses that as like just an excuse to get her into his car. Holy yeah. crap. Like the, the implications of that. Use your power anymore. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. These rapists were just doing their thing, and you came along and messed it all up. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, assault? You want to get charged assault? With assault? Now yeah. I'm going to take you in, lady. Supposed to do, which is to prevent crime. <laughs> prevent. <laughs> Sorry, we're talking about the police <laughs> here. Know. Yeah, exactly. Your job is to bring escaped slaves back. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, that's kind of like his excuse to to then, I guess, pick her up because he's like, I'm going to arrest you. But then says later on, no, I'm not actually going to arrest you. But since you're here already, maybe you'll go on a date with me. And this is the scene where, yeah, that very grossly he is like, get the heck out of my car if you're going to uh, reject me. 
And then she does a complete 180 on him and invites him back to her apartment. Actually, you're pestering me. I now find really alluring. You are so fucking hot. I want you in my life. Come in. I'm going to go shower and then we'll get down to business. And I'm like, I'm going to shower. I'm going to come out with a towel wrapped around myself, change into a shirt. This and thing. then put the moves on you. It's so out of order. It's really, yeah. really weird. And we haven't even gotten to the weirdest part yet. But yeah. it's like, this is playing an angle, right? She's luring him in because he was present when the ninja was killed. Absolutely. And the ninja That's... has worked it out. You're yes. one of those fucking cops. And so she's going to be starting to have sex with him. And then she suddenly, ha ha, I'm a fucking ninja. And then That's she kills him based on yeah. That yeah, would have been a led to great believe thing. that it's going yeah. in that direction because Billy was there when the evil ninja was gunned down by all the cops. That would have been a great scene because A, Billy has already shown himself to be a scumbag that cop who is not doing his fucking job, who's taken her in and, and basically attempted to arrest her for defending herself from five rapists. Not just defending herself, but defending another woman. Yeah, he's but also like doing that means Christy's like shit. I killed a cop. What have I done? So it, this, so a a scumbag's dead. B the ninja has begun his revenge from beyond the grave. And C Christy's in a lot of shit. Yeah, that's that, so that's much better of a, that a movie. I yeah, mean, that's yes. a movie. Like now she's like kind of oh my god. Like now she has uh, there's tension in her character where she either has to try to hide this thing or cover it up somehow. Yeah, that would actually make for an interesting twist. But, and yet. But what However, happens, what actually happens, which I hesitate to describe as the exact opposite of any of that, because the shit that goes down next is not the opposite of anything. It's, it's not the, no, it's not the opposite of anything. It is so beyond. It is so beyond the realm of any rational, sane thought. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Chris, we've, we've negotiated ourselves to <laughs> a point now where Christy is wearing a shirt and she has uh, pushed Billy back on the sofa and she is effectively riding him. Billy's out of his depth here, by the way. He's like, oh, I don't even know. Like, this is a strong woman. I can't even. Now, Christy has already made it perfectly clear. She does not use soft drinks. and She is not a fan of coffee. <laughs> yeah, she thinks coffee is unhealthy. Juice <laughs> is V8 juice. Which yes. is what? Tomatoes tomato, and... Tomato, it's tomato, it's, celery, and a few other vegetables. Uh, yes. A little bit of carrot. Six other vegetables specifically. Yeah, those of you, those of, you of a certain age will find this very recognizable. V8 drinks in like the weird little cans they used to come in. That was like, we just didn't eat healthy during the 80s at all. So if you want your daily dose of vegetables, here it is in a convenient drink in a can. Smoothie, effectively. Um, Basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. heavy on the tomatoes. I do remember those. They do now only do it in cartons. Watching this mm-hmm. made me want V8 juice. So I bought some and it's still very nice. But in the cans, it's weird. But that's what Christy has a can of V8 juice, which she takes a long swig from. And then. Oh. That I can only describe as what the actual fuck tips V8 juice down <laughs> Chin, her throat, and all her boobs. And then she's like, okay, big boy, you're going to come and lick this tomato juice off me. What? (laughs) What gets me most about that scene is that they were very clearly showing the V8 label. Did V8 sponsor this? Did they know what they were getting into? I was thinking. (laughs) 
Like, were they one of their uh, a corporate sponsors? Was this? Uh, was this? Uh, like, yeah. Was this? What was this? My <laughs> <laughs> some executive. Like, some executive. Like, yeah, absolutely, definitely. Put use us as a sex aid. Look, we that have is, got to get our product cool. placement in, and nobody else will sponsor us. So we're gonna get the V8, and you're gonna pour it down your your cleavage, and you will Billy the cop. Lick it off of this lady. You will lick it, and you will like it. <laughs> the only reason to bathe in tomato juice is if you got sprayed by a skunk. So what does that say about Billy the cop? <laughs> Possibly oh the least sexual juice in existence. <laughs> there is nothing sexy about this. Like, there's not even any wait, like. Wait. What's the most sexual juice in existence? Uh, hmm. Mango. Yes. Yes. All right, cool. I'm sorry. Right. I didn't mean to yeah, interrupt. But I it, had to get that out. Oh, oh no, no, no. You're fine. But it's not like you know. It's not like using whipped cream or like fruit or some. You know, like there are people that use those as like props or you know. It's like meant to be kind of an aphrodisiac. Like I get that whole thing. Like you take the chocolate syrup and you drizzle it on yes. your partner and then lick it off. Like that's supposed to be erotic. There is nothing erotic about this scene whatsoever. Oh. Even the V8 drink, like the color of the juice is unappealing because it's not even like bright red. It's kind of got this orange, like brown thing going. To it. Yeah, it's, it's just sludge. It's, I mean, I, I like the taste of it. I wouldn't necessarily lick it off an aerobics instructor, but I like the taste <laughs> of it. <laughs> but it's just sludge. It doesn't look nice. It, uh, specifically, we've got tomatoes, beets, beets, <laughs> celery, carrots, lettuce, parsley, watercress, spinach, and uh, tomatoes. Yeah, in other words, yeah. by way, all of the things that they flavor Fruit Loops with in the UK. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. no. They're fucking puke worthy. No, I think that we, I'm so I, sorry. They tried it for a bit. No one bought them. I, I wonder, wonder why. I sent Kellogg's a message saying, look, guys, I know that you can't give us what American Fruit Loops are made of because there's regulations on how much sugar you can put in cereals. I get it. Okay, I get it. But could you potentially flavor these things with, I don't know, fruit? Yeah, I mean, Blackcurrant. We have them in abundance in the UK. I, Lemon, orange. I understand. Use fructose. I re well, it's not the sugar that's the issue. I understand that there are... Uh, chemical flavors and colors that are used in the U.S. that the uh, the the food people, safety people in this country look at it and go, "Oh heavens no!" Our kids are going to lose their hair. <laughs> <laughs> but but we do have fruit flavors. We have lemon, orange, blackcurrant, other stuff. I tried one. Other stuff. <laughs> Beetroot, lemongrass. Oh, lemon lemongrass. <laughs> no, lemongrass. Lemon That's a herb. You make tea out of it. That's it. And the orange ones mm -hmm. were flavoured with carrot. I sent Kellogg's a message. Like I said, they sent me back a fucking template saying, thank you for your interest in Fruit Loops. We flavour these with lemongrass, carrots, and beetroot. I know. We I hope, ate them. We hope that you enjoyed your cereal. And I was like, no. fuck the how? Just found out recently in a food theory that um, in America, all Fruit Loops, all the Loops are the exact same flavor. It is a medley called Fruit, F-R-O-O-T. Oh, so yeah. a blue one tastes like a green one. Yeah, what? they all taste exactly the same. Oh <laughs> yeah, they're all schnozberry flavored. Okay. 
We have actually talked more about V8 juice in this podcast than we have about ninjas. So, <laughs> what? It's gross. We're going to be playing the drinking game, which chance to recover. Yes. Here's the best thing about this scene, though, is because they didn't just leave it at that. They couldn't just leave us with the disgusting V8 juice sex scene. They had to then, after there is a very hilarious glowing floating sword and um, uh, Christy gets some very dramatic eye makeup, they uh, had to show Sonic us Truth. what they had to show us what Billy the cop looks like without his shirt on. <gasps> and this that is, is like the disgusting, like vile, rotten cherry on the top of this thing is like, now you get to see what he looks like, no shirt. He looks Don't like show us him without a shirt. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to say this, and sweetheart, feel free to cut this out if you feel the need. Um, but I have no issue with hairy men. Wolverine. Yeah. Alex is a fairly hairy dude. Mm-hmm. But this guy is more even than I could take. I think, like, if <laughs> this he was guy is guy. an ape. Metaphorically and literally, an ape guy. We would forgive the hairiness, but because he's a scumbag, I agree. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's like and and all of this, and he's incredibly hairy too. It's like Austin Mm -hmm. Powers. He's a pig, and he has that girl, baby, very good chest. Anyway, but he doesn't have the charm of. Austin Powers, so it just it, it no, he fails in every single level. Ugh. He should have been killed way early. Okay, so yeah, yeah. this floating sword, which again um, is, is 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 suspended by strings, which would have only pissed off Steve Lambert, who's like, "What's that? A cable? Why can't you do this floating sword without cables?" Anyway, yeah. So, so it just make the sword float by magic. It's it's it has the same kind of movement as Ghost Vitruvius from the Lego <laughs> movie. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> that it's a key dangling it. It's this sword's dangling and I don't even know it. Anyway. <laughs> every time Christy visits the police station, which is every day, to follow up on this ninja case, she sees a new cop from the actual shooting where the ninja was killed. And every time she looks at them and they superimpose cop like the, the actual shots from the scene and they show her eyes and it is so weird that it doesn't go I think we were all expecting it. It's yeah. Really yeah. Tarantino took from this for Kill Bill. Yeah. Like that whole I know who killed me, and it was these fuckers. And she hunts down the cops as this ninja growing slowly more possessed. Sam Furstenberg, the director, kept saying, this girl is possessed by a spirit of a ninja because Poltergeist had come out, and we were trying to do a movie very much like Poltergeist. So there's a possession, just like in Poltergeist. I'm like, dude, it's literally The Exorcist. It's the most famous possession movie of all time. How could you keep saying Poltergeist? When this is The Exorcist. There isn't a possession in Poltergeist. No. No. Definitely I mean, not. It goes a, a little bit um it goes a little bit Ghostbusters too at one yes. point. And that's later on, but there's weird stuff happening in her apartment. There's glowing lights and smoke coming out of uh, closets and things. Like yeah. it's very ghost. Cabinet is um is hypnotizing her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
but like, like the arcade cabinet just like sort of lighting up and like her going and standing in front of it would have been like creepy enough but the arcade cabinet moves it like follows her around the room going the arcade cabinet is just as creepy as Billy it just wants to see her naked apparently yeah. mm-hmm. eventually like her whole closet opens up and light starts billowing out of it and yeah. everything in the room starts being drawn towards it because the uh, the set was up this on spring. this is spritz. a bit poltergeist when the closet tries to eat her a big poltergeist it is literally the bit from Poltergeist when the closet goes <laughs> everyone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you shameless bastards. And then they get in the great James Hong, who uh, himself was uh, uh, Lopan in um, uh, Big Trouble yes. China, Poe's dad in uh, um, Kung, Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda, Wayne's uh, potential father-in-law, uh, Shatsu Cassandra's father in uh, Wayne's World 2. And, uh, this the, one- guy who does, the guy who does eyes in Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. I only, I, oh, yeah. comes in and he's I kind, just do eyes. He's he's just there to uh, you had the noodle dream. I love James Hong. He's just such, I mean, <laughs> he's so oh, great. Yeah. And amazingly still alive. Yeah. Well thank he's you. Still kicking. Fixed it. Now do not worry about James Hong. <laughs> oh no, don't worry about James Hong. <laughs> Uh, he is literally please, still kicking please. somebody. So he's basically Tangina Barron's... Like, no, he's the lady who they first bring in in Poltergeist uh, who realises, well, this is way too big for me to deal with. The one who's like, I'm absolutely terrified. Christy is now fully possessed by the ninja and she's like tied up cruciform and she's like her hair's going, getting streaks of grey. She's got powdered grey face. She pukes... Um, steam all over him and like they were going to have her head spin around and I was like oh you didn't because the exorcist people would sue you and he's like no we didn't because it was too expensive as a, uh, a stunt. Yeah obviously. <laughs> because it was too expensive by the way is the canon film's motto. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a there's a, a screenshot that I, I captured I think it's from the second film where uh, a police chief says we're not going to be able to pay you much money and I was like this is canon films right <laughs> Yes. <laughs> But that was that they that accidentally. Was uh, yeah, they accidentally filmed one of the producers talking to the actors. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, James James Holmes trying to get this ninja demon out of her, and he sort of succeeds. But then, like I said, the 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 whole being sucked into the cupboard thing happens, and like she tries to ignore it by turning on the stereo and just sort of like disco dancing to like and jazzercising. It's the and she's doing that like fingers. Well, a, a big part of this is that the the way this possession has been manifesting itself is he makes her extremely anxious, and when yeah. she's anxious, she wants to do something physical so that she can feel more in control of the situation. Yeah. Again, these little thematic hints, I was actually really impressed by. They're just not presented anywhere near as solidly as they are in the second one. But while exactly. she's dancing. Before everything gets sucked into the closet, the sword floats out of the closet, again, dangled by a child, and chops the stereo in half. Just so it's like, nah, enough of that dancing. Yep. Um, and finally, Shokasugi makes his appearance. He turns up at the uh, airport, and he's a completely different third person now. I feel like they could have made him the guy from the second one. They could. Yeah. They didn't want to. Yeah, that might have <laughs> worked. Yeah, but uh, he is basically the the ninja exorcist at this point. He's got this really badass eye patch on. It's a suba for the 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 middle bit of a Japanese sword, the the handguard. 
but mm. it's like over his eye as an eye patch. I mean, that is yeah. badass. It's a cool idea. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's a neat touch. It's a just a subtle little thing. But although it it is kind of weird that you know they've kind of fashioned him to look like the bad guy, but he's supposed to be the good ninja in this one. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's at this point going around killing cops, and then uh, a, it's actually quite clever of the evil ninja. She kills one cop while he's playing pool. Then all the other cops have a funeral for this one cop, and she just sort of turns up at the funeral in a kind of. And again, broad daylight, nowhere to hide, nowhere to except hide. in a tree. Except in a tree. Yeah. She jumps out of the tree, and you know, again, it's it's, uh, it's a like a palm tree, table. though. And again, it's and she just carves up all these cops as a ninja, and like, basically, like, she should be a wanted woman at this case. In fact, thinking about it, she's got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> so I it's kind of it's lucky that she ends up with Billy, who could just kind of lose the paperwork on this one. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was all part of the plan. Yeah. <laughs> So James, like I said, mentioned before, James Hong is like the the the, the first level of Exorcist, and it doesn't work, and so he kind of uh, pieces out on this, and uh, then Shokasugi's and basically tells them only a ninja. Zelda Rubenstein, captain of the ninja. Yeah. So so yeah, uh, yeah uh, Shokasugi is the Zelda, Zelda Rubenstein. Fights her in this old abandoned house, and I'm like, this isn't a set, is it? You just found an old abandoned house made out of oh, pure tetanus. 100%. Yes, just... <laughs> 100%. They found an unfinished building, and we're like, oh, this is our scene. Oh, yeah. And they were just, like, chucking breeze blocks around. And this is the one where not only did um, uh, uh, Scott, <laughs> like, um, br- break one of his ribs falling through a trapdoor with no cables, because why would they ever need cables? Yeah, I can believe that. So, that's Scott. Um, you meant Steve. Steve Lambert. Sorry, I don't know who Scott is. I'm thinking of Scott Adkins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, when she apparently jumps out of the window to get away, it's clearly a dude, and that's again um, Steve. And he's just—he's got one foot way down lower than the other. It's this really dynamic jump, and I'm like, that looked really like he. I hope he landed on a crash mat. There was no crash mat. He landed mm-hmm. heavily on that ankle. He nearly broke that ankle. That, and yeah, that, just... that was worrying because I was like, oh my god, <laughs> he just snapped yeah. his leg in half. Oh my god. Saying that looked like a Steve. Ditko pose, and I kind of liked that at the very least. Oh, yeah. This is also kind of a, a cool part where, like, at one point, uh, a show comes through the floor, like Batman style. He just kind of like crashes through the floor, and there he is. It was pretty neat. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they go to a Shaolin temple, which, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's loads of Shaolin temples in Los Angeles. And Sharon read up and went, there's. There is one, actually, but it was but made... there's several. There's several, but <laughs> yeah. the, at least one of them wasn't made until years the later. The first one I found was built in 2008. There's another one that's the Shaolin Temple Cultural Center, um, and there's at least half a dozen other mm. buildings that call themselves Shaolin Temples. Well, uh, Christie's body gets taken there, and then this... Um, beautiful kind of animated spirit comes flying out of her. And this is the evil ninja who's sort of flying around the room. And again, they were talking about, see, but these days they just use CGI. And I'm like, CGI itself is not evil. And what you were using back then was the 1984 equivalent of CGI. Yeah. Lon Chaney Sr. sitting there like, oh, you have professional makeup people? Well, in my day, I made my own makeup and tied my legs back behind myself with a harness. 
<laughs> in the old days, I made my own makeup with arsenic and lead. Yes. <laughs> Whoa. You're dead. And it must be that why Lon Chaney's dead. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be 172 now if he was alive. <laughs> okay. So uh, the uh, Shokasugi ends up f- like a bunch of monks. Like, the, the ninja spirit throws out fireballs like Shang Tsung and possesses a bunch of monks who at once mm-hmm. who come running at him with, like, Shaolin spears and things, and Shokasugi sort of batting them off. But the, what? I think we've broken Sharon. Is she still going? laughing because I'm laughing. Any, any, any more words on this final battle, which also takes place on a very cheap hillside? <laughs> Should have been filmed in an abandoned rock quarry. I don't know why they didn't do that. It could have been cheaper, but it, it, it's pretty picturesque. There's a there's a few. Bit, there's a really neat bit where Show is like hanging from a cliff, and then the evil ninjas grabbed him by the foot, and he just goes, <laughs> "Oh fuck this!" and grabs a tanto dagger and just jams it right into his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right on the top of the head. It's ooh, it's, it's brutal. Great. This movie definitely took a step back as far as the fight choreography went. Like in Revenge, yeah, so, you could too. actually see the fights, and they let the camera just sit there for a while. Um, this time it's like every hit is a cut and I just felt so disappointed. Like what, what, what happened to you? What happened between these films? I don't know, but somehow they, they forgot about their camera angles again. Like Uh, they took it back a a half a step. It was weird. It's the same team, which is weird. Um, I I think that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like these are mostly the same people. And yet somehow the second movie had the better fight choreography. Yeah. It's also, it's weird. Like, I um, was putting together a custom box set for this. And I was looking at the posters. Um, Shokasugi isn't really on the first one. It's obviously all Franco Nero, his white guy karate kick. And he's not really on the front cover of the third one. It's it's all Christie. But on the second one, it's a painted ninja in the far distance. That means that the actual star, the real talent in these three movies, isn't on any of the posters. You can't see his mm. face. Uh, that's a shame. Um, but uh, but like he basically, you know, he ends up doing this fantastic fight, and, uh, and that's pretty much the end. And like that, that, that I'm going to ask you, folks, can you rank these three movies, like in order of your favorite, middle, least favorite? I mean, for me, it was really, really slim because they all made me laugh so much and were just so Im- impressive. I originally said three, two, one, but the amount of talking about the second one that we've done, I've reversed that now to two, three, one. That's um, where I am. Sharon. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. where you are as well. That was same. Uh, same, same. Maya? I, you know, as much as it grosses me out and as much as uh, I have major issues with some of the uh, the optics in the third one, I think I would still put Ninja 3, the domination at the top, followed very closely behind by two. Like, it's pretty much neck and neck uh, with the third and the second one. And then the first one is way down at the bottom. Um, V8, neck and Ninja, neck. Uh, uh, here's, here's a couple of... Here's a couple of things that the domination has going for it. Okay. First of all, James Hong, that's a big plus yeah. for me. Yeah. Just personally, Should have been because way more. I, 
he should have been in it way more. But the fact that he's even in it just that's like a, a big bright spot for me. Yeah. I love all of the um like some of the cheesy 80s things like the aerobics class. I love those outfits. I, I love that hair. It, I, all of that stuff is just is so great. Even though I get grossed out by the carpet in the aerobics area, I'll I'll give that a pass. <laughs> outfits are fabulous. The hair is fantastic. It's absolutely perfect. And I have a lot of nostalgic love for that. And I will give Ninja 3 The Domination the score. They actually had a specific synth composer for this film. Mm. And it just, I don't know, it just elevates it that that next step up. I I love it. That synth score is just chef's kiss for me. Very true. Which is why I would slightly rate it above the second one. Although I do think... The second one has it in terms of like the great stunts, the great fight choreography and a solid story. Mm. And Maya, with that being your favorite, you may be interested to know that in 1996, uh, Shokasugi released a (laughs) video called Self-Defense and Ninja Aerobics, which I can only assume (laughs) involved him being possessed by the spirit of an aerobics instructor. (laughs) I need to see this. And then they need to have uh, a a, a ninja aerobics instructor of, you know, exercise that spirit so that an aerobics instructor can challenge that aerobics instructor spirit to an aerobics off. Absolutely. Mm. All I heard in there was a pun on exercise and anaerobic. Ah. Exercise. Ah. Very good. Very good. So, I mean, that there you have it, folks. If you look at the data, uh, while, while Myers ever so slightly uh, prefers three to uh, two, uh, the, the group, if you're going to allocate points to it, uh, judges them two, three, one. But all of them are a great time. I all think of that's... them are oh, yeah. definitely worth watching. Yeah. Definitely. Solid sure. recommend for all three of them. Yes, absolutely. If you love these, you know, this genre of they're so bad that they're good movies, these are three solid contenders. They're really, really good. And they're in different ways fun. as well. Saying they're all great fun. Yeah. And in different ways as well. Like I didn't, I, I never was like bored because it's like, yes, yes, another ninja, mm, caltrops in the face. It was always just like, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> I, I don't think I was ever bored with any of these two because in every, like in my notes, it's like every other line says, what is this? This is absolutely insane. What the fuck is happening? Ah, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Oh, I forgot the hot tub. There's a bit where at the other hot tub kill, she, now fully possessed by the ninja, goes to find a cop who's in a hot tub canoodling with two girls. Two girls. And then she sort of starts getting in. The girls are like, hey, man, what's going on here? What kind of place is this? And then she well, goes... Well, it's a place where they didn't object to the fact that there were two women cuddling all over this guy. So it's yeah. kind of that kind of And place. so she embraces the guy. And then while she's kissing him, like, takes the pearl off her ring, turns it around. There's a little needle on it. And then she pops it in his back and he goes... Ugh! And then drops under the water. So he dies in the least painful, best way, because he's busy kissing her. Mm-hmm. And then she turns around, the girls are like, what? What's going on? And then she rakes this needle across one of the girl's chests, killing her. And then the other one, she garrots. Why kill these two girls as well? What is with this? Like this ninja thing of just gotta kill all 
the women. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room. Kill yeah. every step. Yeah. Exactly. I refer back to the research I did. Point three, the purpose of the ninja is to flip out and kill people. That is true. <laughs> Yes, that's why I extend to Storm Shadow in the first one, the Shokasugi, the 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 the, the ninja who was angry, and that the nemesis. He does keep Julie Christie alive, like he like he just stop lets her. Julie Christie. People are going to think it's actually Julie Christie. She is a ray of sunshine in that film. I've got to say, class is the joint up. But he lets her go, and she's like, I'm just going to mm. and. Like they could, that every other nasty, shitty film would just have killed her. Mm. And also, or made her a prize for Franco Nero at the end. In the end, he not. drives away and she carries on with her life. Absolutely. Yeah, he's off to freelance ninja. Yeah. <laughs> and wink at the camera. This is the awesome synth theme to Revenge of the Ninja by Rob Walsh. School of Movies is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joga Seeger, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. So okay, we've gone for way longer than I anticipated originally, but this cannon been... would be firing you right now. Oh, they're fine. Oh, we are way over budget now. Yeah. This cost us seven dollars. <laughs> so before we so go, we did all of the other movies. <laughs> Add it together. So before we go. To our esteemed guests, where can our listeners find the work that you are most proud of, past or present or future? Our stuff at sequentially-yours.com, where uh, we talk about comic books and comic book media, uh, do deep dives and close readings, and essentially try to try to treat the medium with the respect that it deserves. And we're both on Twitter, um, Karu, uh, Karu Nagisa or Moon Panther 22 and I am W. Morse, or best at 8300. Cat pictures! Send pet pictures. I, I never do not want to see pet pictures, especially cats, yes. Debbie can never get enough of the pet pictures. This is true. <laughs> this is true. And Maya. So you can find me on Twitter at Maya Santandrea, and on Instagram at The Stunt Lady. Uh, my most recent work, I think I've mentioned this before, but now you can listen to it in its entirety. Uh, check me out. You can hear my voice on Uncivil Outlaw, which is Alex's own uh, fictional universe as part of the New Century multiverse that is available to uh, stream on all your podcasting outlets now. And uh, be on the lookout for 
possibly the Suicide Squad, which I did a bit of work in. I was a, a soldier in that movie, and I believe they're getting close to having a release on it. Um, so this is nice. just to just to distinguish it from uh, the other DC properties. This is the one directed by James Gunn. Mm. Yeah. So keep an keep an eye out for that in uh, hopefully the near future. Excellent. We will be uh, obviously watching that with uh, with a, a keen eye for spotting Maya as a soldier. So we will be back next week with a show on the 1993 movie adaptation of Super Mario Brothers. Oh. Oh no! <laughs> oh, hey, you know, hey oh, guys! Yeah. Instead, you're like, oh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I don't see what's we, wrong we, with this one. Yeah. <laughs> we also would have accepted, guys. You're never gonna believe this. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Ninja, Ninja School, School is Set. out. Body